Welcome to the show, guys. I'm eating chips because this is my lunch break from my long day. Uh, I just got back from a yard sale where my wife was insisting that we do some kind of spring cleaning and make a profit off of it. So she said, go through all the DVDs that we own, which, you know, at this point are not very many. She said, get rid of anything you don't want, you know. So I ended up getting rid of like, I don't know, 50 or 60 DVDs. But I somehow still had, and I, I haven't even watched them, you know. I can't remember the last time I watched a DVD instead of just watching it online. You know, I'm probably, they're all, at this point, after culling through them, through this kind of sale, you know, four or five times over the past decade, at this point, it's crystallized a, a bunch of good movies, you know. And I had no problem getting rid of a lot of them, like, even like Alien and Aliens and Commando, Predator, movies that I love that I can get elsewhere if I really want, you know. So they're all good movies. So I have them out in display. And people are passing them by and thumbing through them. And, you know, this is top-notch shit. I'm talking, like, there's Chinatown in there. There's um, Rashomon, a Kurosawa <laughs> movie. Ikiru's in there. This is, like, high-quality shit. And I keep wondering what they're, what they're thinking, what they're waiting for. Like, they're waiting for, like, Top Gun or, like, Navy SEALs. Is that going to stop them in their tracks? Like, oh, oh Navy SEALs! You know, what is it going to be? It's going to stop somebody to pick something up. So, the hilarious part of someone all this Someone bought Commando. Oh, someone did buy Commando. That was actually one of the first ones to go, no joke. Um, of course. I'm selling them, I'm selling these, <laughs> all these movies for a dollar a pop. A dollar a pop, which is, you know, I guess what you come to expect wow. in the easiest way. So, anyway, the funniest part of the whole thing to me was, um, I'm selling Lost as well. I have, yes, I have DVDs, uh, series <laughs> one through five of Lost, and I've had them for, you know, since I thought the series sucked. And I, I don't even have the last season because I hated it so much I'd refuse to buy it. But um, I have them out there, and it, the price starts at $4 a season, and, and no one was willing to go that high for Lost. And so I lowered it to, to $2 a season, and, and no one was willing to do it. And then at one point, I just said, free, take Lost, please. <laughs> Everything um, that I had f- from Lost was just free, take it. And by the end of the day, no one wanted Lost for free. Whoa. On the, wow. back, of, on the back of the season, season one disc, it says, number one, best show. <laughs> But that was, of course, in 2004. It's been some time since then. But um, I took some notes of – after an hour of selling this stuff, I started to take notes of what people were saying to me, uh, asking questions of me. So the guy comes across the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings set, the four-disc set of each movie, you know, the big, you know, colored green, red, and blue you know, box set things. That, you oh, know. man, I would – oh, wait, it's on DVD. Never mind. <laughs> exactly. So I'm selling those and the guy asks – No, I have it in quotes here. Lord of the Rings, is this some cartoons? And I say, <laughs> uh, this is the Peter Jackson, you know, Lord of the Rings series, you know, the one that came out in the 2000s. It won like 12 Academy Awards for Return of the King. It's that one. He said – is it any good? And I was like, fuck. Uh, Terrible. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I said it, I guess it's highly regarded or something like that. And I said, all right, I'll give you a dollar for them. I'm like, okay. So I sold them each for a dollar. And, uh, the same guy then thumbs through and he sees American Psycho and he got, looks, he takes it out and looks at it for a minute, looks at the cover and he just puts it back, goes, Oh, I've already seen Psycho. This must be a remake. So he thought American <laughs> was a remake of fucking Hitchcock. I didn't say anything, of course. This, Some, should, this guy should be a guest on the show today. Like, you. <laughs> how did you let him go? This is a consistent attitude that I experienced. And Azil talked to me before the show. He said, you know, yard sales like that attract a certain kind of crowd. And that's absolutely true. You get like the lowest of the low denominators of people. So yeah. some teenager, teenage girls walked by and they were looking through and everyone picked up the thing. I think it's the cover art or something like that. They always, they always put it out, looked at it, put it back. These girls pulled it out and said – 
The Thing. Is this the remake? I said, no. And they went, oh. And they put it back. They wanted the remake of The Thing. They didn't want the original. They wanted... Oh, but wait a minute. What? Hold on. Because that's a complicated question. Like, the remake could be the 1981 movie. Because that's a remake of the movie from the 50s. I think the Howard Hawks thing. See, I don't even and this know that. new one is like a prequel. It's not yeah. a remake. <laughs> but, but you know, these were teenage girls, so I, I don't think you're they much like. They might have been like very cultivated. <laughs> they were very yeah. cultured, you know, teenage. They had like some dad who was into science fiction, you know. Yeah, they were looking for the Howard well. Hawks. <laughs> but that, then they would have known just by the cover, you know. Yeah, yeah is this John Carpenter's thing? <laughs> That being um, said, I, I think the guy who already saw, you know, Psycho, I, I think he saw the remake, you know, like not Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah, it was Vince know. Vaughn. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It. I'm sorry to tell you. I doubt he, he saw, you know, Hitchcock's version. Oh, fucking A. How old that, was the guy? He was old. Old, old. He was like 60 or 70. Oh, then I guess maybe he did see yeah. Hitchcock's. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to say about it was um, I'm selling TV shows as well. And uh, I have Mad Men seasons one through three, and then I've I've given up on Mad Men at this point. The last two seasons were really poor, so I'm selling <laughs> I'm selling the disc. I don't care about it. And uh, a woman comes across it, and she sees she says Mad Men. Never heard of it. Is it on TV? And I'm like, yeah, uh, Mad Men's a pretty popular show. It's pretty highly rated. It's won like best drama three or four years running now, I think. And um, she says, huh? It's on TV. What channel is it on? I said it's on AMC. She said, what's that? I'm like, a- AMC, it's, uh, it's the channel with all the shows that everyone watches now, you know? Like, what the fuck? God, I don't understand. Bad on- Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I was just blown away by the caliber of people that, uh, pilfered through my stuff, but, you know, I guess I kind of asked for it by hosting Hey, maybe, show. maybe they're all going home and reading Shakespeare. You don't know. Maybe that's why they don't know what's on TV. They might be better than us. That's why. <laughs> it's not because they're worse. <laughs> At the end of the day, after all things were said and done, as we were packing up, we still had some visitors, and I'd said, whatever it is, it's free, just take it. Just everything's free, take it. And people would look through the DVDs, see Rashomon, see Chinatown, see the thing, and they're like, ah, no, 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 no thanks. <laughs> no, you know what I've learned, like, at my work, is that if you make something for free, it just, it has no value anymore. <laughs> That's, like, pretty, you have to, it has to be a sale or a coupon. If you had said everything 50% off or, you know. Yeah. 75% off. They would have just bought shit on principle. Well, we did that. We, you know, we marked it down from like, you know, full price, which was a dollar a disc to half off to so 50, 50 cents, you know, a piece to free. Yeah. And, you know, anyway, that was my fun morning and I raced back here to get to the show. So <laughs> little scatterbrained as I start the show. But, um, what's up with you guys? Uh, Griff, you, uh, anything happened in your world? Uh, just working and, you know, trying to hold things together at home because, you know, I work like 12 hours a day now. Jesus. So that, that causes Whoa. some tension. It's nice when uh, I check my bank account, though. So that's, you know, that was a pleasant surprise on the first. I only get paid once a month mm. with this job. So that's like. That's tense, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it was difficult, except it's like, yeah, I like, he's like, whoa, I haven't seen that much in there in a while, you know, and it's all at once. So that's yeah. exciting. So. Yeah, you know, I remember that's that. Good. So good and uh, good and bad, up and down. You know, I'm enjoying the job and getting the hang of it. You know, we always get paid once a month in France. You know, really? I've always been paid only yeah once a month. It's just you know that's how it goes. We we never get paid by the week. Mm. By yeah, week, it's pretty paid standard in America. 
Yeah, I know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny that it feels odd to you, but, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess here, you know, it's usually like, like that, you know, like at the beginning of the month, you know, people, we are going to spend their money, you know, a bit carefully, you know, and, uh, at the end of the month, they're like, oh, fuck, man, fuck, man, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've got nothing left. Yeah. You, you want to go to the restaurant? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll pass this time and, uh, I'll just be eating, you know, beans or something. So you like you're familiar with like how to treat like a data plan, you know, on a phone already. Like basically that's how French people grew up with their money. Yeah. Like we're at the end of the month, you know, it's like, all right, time to watch some movies online, you know. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of which I recently cut my uh cable. No more uh cable TV, anything like that. Yeah. Was it? I haven't had any any fancy you know TV plans for like you know ever. <laughs> it's been like at least fifteen years. All yeah. I need is Magnum PI on DVD, and I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy that. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> That's all Netflix now. Yeah, it is all Netflix actually. Oh. <clears throat> or wait, isn't it Quickster? Did that wait? What happened there? No, never mind. They don't. We should. We shouldn't mention that. I totally forgot about all that completely. Yeah, never to be mentioned again. <laughs> the CEO of Netflix, you know, he's going to hear our podcast and spit out his coffee. Like, no. <laughs> Fuck, they remembered. Shit, uh, that didn't happen. Yeah, I, I don't even remember what that was. I don't want to remember what that was, so. I just want to go back to Net- Netflix being like on the cutting edge on top of things, you know, totally putting Blockbuster out of business. Yeah. I had a um little grandmother type person call it NetStream to me today during the yard sale. Anyway, eh, at least she knew what it was. I mean, yes, she got she got half of it right. Accurate description of you know just <laughs> in general the type of service. I love how you keep giving these people the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, she was actually half I'm right. Optimist. I'm an optimist. <laughs> I, I believe in people. I believe in the good of people. Host a yard sale. You'll change your attitude quickly. Oh, I stay. Tina always wants to go to them, and I'm like, no. Oh my god, they're the fucking worst, man. They're the worst. <laughs> Well, we'll get started. Um, the show today is something I've wanted to talk about for a long time since we've actually, since we started the show. It's just one of those things that I knew would require a lot of headspace research to make sure we got everything right and to cover all the different angles. But I made a thread, I think it was like five or six years ago with a really pretentious title. But basically the, the, the form of it was there is a theme, uh, throughout a lot of the supernatural elements of the series, uh, Berserk that relate to water. And once you start thinking of it with that mindset, you can see a lot of different connections between things. Uh, I think it was Azil was the first person to point it out to me. And then I kind of just like ran with it and said, what else could, could be related to this? What else has the, the connotation of water in them? And it's actually a number of things. And I, I made a list of them, but I segregated the list between things that might actually be legit and what I call like the tinfoil hat theory, which is like everything's related to water. There's water in this scene. It's related. Like obviously <laughs> you have to draw the line at some point. And that's kind of what I wanted to do with this show was I wanted to pitch my crazy notions to you guys and you guys call bullshit at a certain point. So that's how we'll start it out. Um, but uh, I can't remember the very first time as you and I had this conversation. It must have been the idea of evil. And I wanted to start with that one yeah. just because I think that's the one – you said I got the title of it wrong, and I just wanted to walk through it real quick. But uh, in, in episode 83, the idea of evil, it's called uh, – the kanji for it that's it's used for the idea of evil uh, is 
talks about the the origin or source of evil, but the, the name is Mano, Mano Genke. Okay. Ma means evil, and you know Genke, yeah, it has two meanings. Right. Uh, it relates to water. The thing is like uh, a water source, you know, the source of water, something like that. So in that case, it can be, you know, it could be translated as origin of source of evil. But in both cases, it's a, it's a word that's related to, you know, water source, like where water sprouts, that kind of stuff. Right. In the same, you know, scene that introduces itself, uh, it describes the domain that it's in, but also referring to the vortex of souls as an ocean of feelings, and it was born from these swells uh, in the translation that we have. A lot of different ocean ocean uh, terminology being used just in that one sentence. And um, there's also, of course, the vortex of souls, the vortex describing, you know, a, a whirlpool-type yeah. effect, I, also I related. Think, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think, the, you know, even uh, when Flora talks about it or anything like that, you know, that, that part of the world, you know, that, you know, you know, deep part of the astral world is mm. always been referred to as a uh, yeah an ocean. You know, even, even Puck when uh, Puck first sees uh, you know the vortex, you know in volume three. So yeah, there's like this big ocean, and you know the vortex, which is like you know a vortex a whirlpool, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it forms at the bottom the the abyss. You know, so where where the heat of evil uh, lies dwells. Right. So yeah, it's very. I mean, it's a pretty you know clear you know water you know relation right. between all these things yeah and that, that's it, it starts to get murky at a certain point though and i, I I'll, I'll get there i'm just kind of working my way through that the basics the basics of them and I'll, obviously the abyss is a, a region of the astral world the deepest part of the astral world uh there, and what i wrote in the notes was uh it, it describes a deep area of the ocean that receives no light uh, obviously, I'm not referring to the berserk term, but the, the reason Mira chose the word abyss, it's, it's a place that's not only deep, uh, you know, planted deeply in the, in, the, in the notion of the world, but also it's a place that is dark, uh, associated with evil, associated with places with no light. And I, I wrote that because I think there's a strong connotation between, you know, light and darkness in the berserk world, uh, you know, and backlighting, Femto keeps drawing attention to it. The symbol, the, the, the iconography of dark and lightness, uh, whenever you create a, a place in the world that has to do deeply with darkness, I think it makes sense that you would choose a word like that. Um, and also, you know, as we keep going, there's so many more. Uh, whenever um, Skull Knight refers to Slan, he calls her the uh, Harawada no Shoki, which translates to – it's a number of different things. But uh, the one I always like to do is either prostitute of intestines, which is like the obvious – translation of the uh of the kanji that are used but there's a there's a more nuanced translation to each of the kanji that is used and it's go ahead Aziel, you want to jump in there uh well yeah actually uh of intestines is not necessarily a very good translation of the you know that, that word I but, thought it was uh, like the, that's like the most superficial translation you could give that word that's what I was trying to say well yeah 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 anyways uh yeah it's uh you know, he uses a word, you know, a bit of high word for, for prostitutes. So, you know, courtesan would be more appropriate, I guess, in right. English. And uh, yeah, he refers to, you know, the fact, you know, she herself refers to the Clifford as a womb, you know, and, uh, he, he calls her, you know, the word he used for her is, you know, relates to, you know, uh, the uterus, you know, the, the worm as well. So, you know, the translation we came up with, what Pula came up with back then was courtesan of the uterine sea, you know, right. as it referred to, you know, yeah, that kind of, you know, the fluids which would, you know, be in, uh, in the womb. 
Which is uh, related to, you know, what she says as well as the fact, you know, her children, you know, you know, the ogres she, you know, creates, she makes, you know, uh, she spawns, you know, spawns, you know, in the, in the cliffs to attack the skull knight, you know, also it's all related to that kind of stuff. So, you know, th- that scene is very coherent, coherent, uh, in the scene, you know, with what happens. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, a couple episodes later, we get another water usage terminology with uh, Skull Knight's technique with the Behirat Sword, Yobimizu no Zurugi. The term actually itself, uh, I, I had much deep, more detailed notes on this term because we see uh, Yobimizu, that term, earlier in the series as well in episode 82 uh, related to uh, – it has to do with uh, the splash or the spray of the Behirats that Griffith sees in uh, yeah. episode 82 as he's descending into the abyss. But uh, anyway, to get back to Yobi Mizu real quick, uh, you know, we had a lot of talks about this term when we first saw it. Uh, so much back and forth. The 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 worst translation that came out of it was uh, "sort of resonance," which is uh, actually I think what Dark Horse ended up adopting. I think, which is fucking gross. It's not but, even a translation, actually. It's right. Pretty much just uh, a made up word. You know, Grey Wars came up with it at the time and it was based on, I, I mean, it started from a good, you know, good attention, but it's not actually, it's not even a translation of the word. It's just, you know, I mean, it's pretty much just a, a made up, you know, word, you know, with what he guessed at the time it might be referring to. Right. Slow me down at any point if I'm going too quick. I'm just kind of going down the list and eventually we're going to get to a point of processing I, 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 after I, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, before you talk about, uh, you know, uh, the Skull Knight's, you know, special soul technique, you should mention, you know, Beheritz, because he's, you sure. know, so his sword is, you know, very directly related to Beheritz. So the connection, you know, between, you know, his technique's name and, uh, water is actually through Beheritz, which are themselves, you know, very much, I, I think, you know, when you consider this, you know, little theory, you know, or that, you know, things are connected, Beheritz being very close to the, you know, idea of evil are, you know, very at the core of the theory, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. pretty much just like, you know, when Griffith, you know, shed his last tear and, you know, it splashed, you know, right. and from that splash, Beheritz, you know, went up and they were like droplets, you know, of water. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. what the word, you know, Ikaie no Yobimizu, you know, refers to. So, um, I think, yeah, the sword is connected to that and the Beherits are, are very strongly, you know, in my opinion, you know, at, at the core of this, you know, theory. And the sword is, you know, related through that. Absolutely. No, I mean, no, no question about that. I, obviously, I, I'm not trying to link necessarily Skull Knight to this, but merely the technique he uses, which obviously uses the, the, the inherent yeah, powers uh, of a Beherit. I know, I'm just, yeah, I'm just trying to establish some kind of uh, hierarchy, you know, uh, yeah. in the whole things are connected. No, you're right, and I didn't actually write down Behirits in specifics because I'm not the best person to explain what Yobi Mizu means. Uh, the way what I'd written down was uh, priming, uh, as in the, the way you prime a well. Uh, but I don't yeah. know how priming to explain a, that so well. You know? Yeah, so. well, it's uh, yeah, it's like you know, priming a pump, you know, like mm-hmm. a water pump. But uh, yeah, it's you know, it's pretty complicated. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's one. It's one of those things where I would love to have a translator ex- explain the the exact usage of that term. Uh, I don't want to get it wrong, but a- anyway, the, the whole point of what I'm trying to say is, Behirits do have a, con- a deep connection to the a, a connection to the deep part of the astral world, and when you use them, 
there's a kind of priming effect that happens that draws those two worlds closer together. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, there's there's you know several ways to interpret you know that reference. It's a bit, uh, yeah. I, I guess it's a bit fuzzy, you know. I mean, there's, there's you know, we would actually need to have you know somebody very well versed in Japanese to comment on that. You know, right. Some somebody who's a native you know person because it's not. It's actually uh, a pretty complicated reference because M- sure. Mura mo- modified the word, you know. Uh, so yeah, between, he modified it between um, uses between Yobimizu and. Volume 13 and Yobi Mizu in 26? Uh, no, no, no. He didn't, uh, you know, it's the same word in both instances. Okay. But, you know, he added the Yo, you know, Frigana. Uh, mm. so. Oh, okay. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't change much, but, you know, it's, it's a change and, yeah, it's, it's not, you know, Mira often does that. He often modifies words and does little things like that. So you can interpret it, you know, you can like just follow the, you know, conventional meaning without minding his modifications. But then, you know, you lose something. He doesn't do it just for fun, you know. So, well, sometimes he does it just for fun. But uh, like, you know, in the case of uh, when Zod refers to the dragon slayer and his own sword as a, as a horse slayer, you know. Mm-hmm. The sounds were modified, so well, the words were modified so that they sounded the same way, but you know with a different meaning. Right. But uh, yeah, in this case, you know, yeah, it's, it's a bit complicated. But yeah, the the basic meaning is uh, to prime a pump, so it does refer pretty clearly to water again. Right. And, and then uh, another another one that probably kind of jumped out at me the most when I first started thinking about this was, of course, the jumping fish analogy that. Uh, Skull Knight uses both in 18 and we see it again in 20, I think it is. Referring to Guts as someone that can, uh, disrupt things or, uh, basically it is a plan. Uh, the, the, sorry, the way he described this analogy has always been fascinating to me. Is, um, there's a, the, the moon is in the sky and the moon is reflecting an image onto the water. He's already using water terminology just in the analogy and a ship jumping out of the water to disturb the flow of the, of the, of the image of the, the reflected moonlight on the water. <laughs> Yeah, actually, you, you often get, get this, uh, Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. Slan, you know, refers to the Skull Knight as a jumping fish in uh, right. during the eclipse, you know. Oh, he's, and, that's, that's right. I got, I yeah. got the two. Yeah, saying, yeah, you, you often do actually, so I, I don't mind. Anyway, so saying that, uh, yeah, he can, you know, jump out, but he, he can't alter the flow of the water, you know. It's right. actually a, a pretty effective uh, analogy. And then, you know, the Skull Knight talks to Guts and says that, you know, the current events, you know, occurring are like the reflection of the of the moon of the on the water. So, you know, the reflection is just that a reflection. But you know, guts, you know, due to what he is and what he went through, can be more than just a reflection himself. It can be a fish creating mm-hmm. ripples and so modifying the reflection. So yeah, that, that's it. But yeah, there's a there's also a water theme, you know. Although I think, uh, to be honest, I think that part is a uh, weaker. Like the energy, you know, includes water, but I don't think it's necessarily connected to the sure. core, you know, elements, which would be to me uh, the death of the astral world, the uh, idea of evil, and the behirit. Yeah, it's. I mean, as far as its relevance to the whole grand scheme of things, it wouldn't even be very telling if we could establish a direct connection. I only note it because it is interesting that such a, a telling metaphor was chosen to involve water, given all the other connections to water. You, you know, you have to second yeah. guess. Any inclusion of water once you start, you know, diving deep into this theory. So mm. that's why I listed it. Um, and then of course, there's also diving deep. Yeah, see, I, I already planned that out. <laughs> like earlier, you said it got murky. 
Yeah. So another water. I don't know. There's a lot of water references in general. I don't mean to throw like water on, you know, cold water on it. <laughs> <laughs> water is a pretty big just analogy in general. To me, like as said, the biggest, uh, the biggest thing to me, the one that stands out the most is the direct acknowledgement that, you know, Shirke gives of, you know, the ocean's, you know, depth and connection to the astral world yep. and sort of just water's relation to mankind and why Mira would choose that because it is sort of like, I mean, we, I think, we know more about space in a lot of ways than we do about, you know, the ocean because, I mean, we can't we can't really go down there. No one's no one's explored, you know, the ocean floor in depth or as, you know, people on Earth have been over every part of the mountains and every other sort of terrain. So it's sort of, you know, from a literary standpoint of, you know, a romantic ideal of something vast and powerful and in Mysterious. itself. Yeah, and a good analogy for an astral world and he made it, you know, literal too. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, it is. A, it is an interesting choice. Um, that I actually, now that you've mentioned the ocean, you actually you've exhausted my my actual th- things that could actually be connected to water list. Well, <coughs> there's another thing. Uh, okay. Also, it's also you know uh, tangential at best. Uh, you know the concept of odd. You know, mm-hmm. uh, which also you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty strongly related to key. You know. Or chi or whatever you want to call it, you know, the fact, you know, life energy and that kind of stuff. Energy. Yeah, the way it's referred to often, uh, often also, you know, could be, you know, related to water. Like, you know, for example, in, um, in the recent episode, you know, when Farnese, uh, is, you know, thinking about how her, you know, art is, you know, flowing into guts and merging with him, with his right. own, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's flowing and that kind of stuff, that talk of flows and things, you know, it could be related to something like, you know, air or whatever, but, you know, water is also, is also proper. So I, I think there's also connections there. And there's well, also the, the astral projections, whenever Shiaki uses those in Farnes, they look like they're in water, like they're underwater, the way the water, the thing, the things wrap around them, the imagery of that is very water-like. <laughs> Yeah, and of course, it's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to even to be literal, but yeah, it's influenced by, you know, that kind of, uh, right. that kind of thing. So now that we've said all these different things, like Walter, what the hell are you getting at? If you, in case you haven't quite gotten the under, the <laughs> underlying point of this whole thing is that all these different elements are connected in a way so, so, such that we can understand them a little better seeing the connections because there's this ocean theme to, uh, not only supernatural things, but just things in the astral world in general. Specifically related to the God Hand, but it's also a larger thing than that. I mean, what I'm basically saying is that if it's astrally related, there's an, there's an ocean connection to it, and from that you can start extrapolating points about what about this? What about this connection to the ocean? You know, is that astrally related? So it's just something to think about as you go through the series, looking at all these different things. I think it's fascinating, and I would love to jump straight into my crazy theory stuff. Let's do it. Well, go ahead. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, in preparation for this episode, um, after I came up with my legitimate things, I said, well, what kind of batshit crazy shit can I also come up with to gross out Zeal and Griff? So, in Volume 1, uh, Guts is, of course, if you remember the first nightmare he has in Volume 1, he's running down a corridor trying to escape the, the demon <laughs> child. Uh, and, you know, he gets hung up on spikes, and uh, it's kind of a yeah. terrifying scene, a narrow alleyway. But he's running down water, guys. <laughs> He's oh, ankle, he's ankle deep in oh, water. Oh my! So you see God. what I'm saying? Yeah. So he's I, like in the astral world, 
And I am, co- I ahead. am grossed out. I am grossed out already. Well, I am just getting started. My God. So, well, so I think the second one is grosser, but for different <laughs> reasons. <laughs> so you know, earlier we talked about Hara Watanoshoki is so describing Slan's womb as you know related to the astral world as well because of the uterine connection there, the uterine sea. Uh, and so Guts is a child. Whenever we see him, he's found in a pool of blood and amniotic fluid. So the main character is already being established as having a connection here to this, to the, to, to liquid. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, it's not really water per se. I mean, there's water in those things. But yeah. I feel yeah. like in the podcast notes, you should have capitalized like pool all in caps. Found oh, yeah. in a pool. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think I'll do that right now. I'm gonna bold it. There we go. I've already is bold and underline it. <laughs> yeah, and um, after guts kills Gambino, this is my favorite one, guys. This is my absolute favorite one. Oh. After guts kills Gambino, and he's running away. You know, he escapes, gets shot with an arrow, and he tumbles off of a cliff, and he's lying there, uh, staring up at the moon. At that moment, he is surrounded by water covered oh. in, in water that's being reflected oh, yes. by the sky so deep so <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, the funny- a, there's like he's lying on the surface of water there's a little jesus connection here too with absolutely that. absolutely this play in later the funniest part about this this bullshit list that i came up with is that you know i i added these you know trying to think can i can i actually sell this can i actually Make sense of these, and then also <laughs> determined. No, I can't. I have to segregate these, or I'm yeah. gonna get fun of. So, the the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> the last one I have is um, Behirits. This one I actually did try to do, but I don't think I don't think you can make the case for it at all. You know, for a long time, actually, new readers often make this mistake as well. I think I may have made it in the very beginning as well. Is a common mistake people make is. Oh, once a beer it touches blood, that's it. It's going to activate. Like, well, no, that's not even really even close yeah. to what happens. But, you know, we all know that's the case. But, you know, there is consistent imagery of the Behirits lying in water, lying in pools of blood. Uh, yeah. When they're activated, uh, Roisin, whenever she – hers activates, there's, there's a tear falling on it. Uh, obviously, Griffiths is surrounded by water and blood. The way that Behirit travels between, between volumes 10 and, you know, 12 is through a thing of water. So – there's some connections there, guys. Yeah, it's a bit. It's uh, I would say it's a bit far fetched. <laughs> see, but well, see, I'll I'll give you ahead. credit on that one. I like the the Behirat traveling, you know, via that it's traveling via water, and that there is this connection between the astral world and water. I mean, it's literally conveying it, and not you know, and it's like you know, it's all by coincidence and everything, of course, but it's you know, a controlled coincidence, as we know, and yeah. you know, it's it's literally delivering it, you know to a specific location at a specific time. So it is interesting that it is conveyed by water. Right. <clears throat> well, that, that is the end of my crazy list, but um speaking yeah. of the Beherits, I sure. guess if we if we want to go back to, you know, uh Yobimizu, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the so one thing which could be interesting, which is not necessarily you know related to water, but I guess uh, it's interesting, you know, in its own uh, regard, is the fact you know uh, the word yobi, you know, it can be used to mean uh, call or you know summon, bring back something like that. But you know, it's also used you know in Buddhism to refer to a specific kind of uh, hell where sinners you know uh, are con- constantly crying out you know of you know se- severe pain you know so wow 
Yeah, it's just a side note, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it could be, you know, of course it's not necessarily, you know, connected or anything like that, but, uh, I guess there's a, there's a good chance it is. And, uh, yeah. If I so, knew that, that would be my list. So I'm glad you brought that up. Well, yeah. Well, I, I just did. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's, that's an interesting, uh, thing about that world, you know, among other things. So. What do you guys make of all this? I've already given you my processing of, of what I think it could mean, what I think we can learn from it, but do you guys think I'm just making a, a big case out of nothing here? What do you think the significance of this relation is? If, the, if you, uh, it's related. you know, like I told you long ago when we first talked about this, I, I think there's a, you know, definitely a connection, you know, when it comes to the heat of evil, you know, the astral world, Beharis and the like. And I think that's intentional, you know, Mio's part. And uh, I, I think he intentionally uses, you know, uh, analogies with water to refer to the astral world and, and the like. Now, when it comes to everything else, I, I mean, I don't think there's some kind of huge underlying, you know, thing, you know, covering the whole series or anything like that. I, I think Mira uses, you know, uh, quite a few water, you know, analogies, but, you know, like, I don't think, you know, the dream in volume one or, you know, when guts, you know, falls on the, yeah, on that, on that, you know, pool of water or whatever. I don't think that's really, you know, related to like, you know, the death of the astral world or anything like that. Well, neither do I. So that's, that's going to be. Well, I was, well, first of all, how did we get through all this without talking about like the sea god, you know, and everything? But, uh, yeah, like really, but, uh, well, I was going to say, I mean, I, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I don't, you know, I don't think you're making, there's definitely, you know, a lot here, you know, you're not making something out of nothing, you know, there's a lot of connections and a lot of big, you know, connections to water. And it's obviously a lot of it is intentional and stated directly, but I'm not sure that it's more significant than like, you know, setting, you know, or background information, Mm. you know, sort of stuff. I'm not sure it's going to, you know, that it's going to pay off in any sort of direct way to like, you know guts and water you know <laughs> like i don't know how it's gonna you know pay off for him other than it's just sort of a you know a fact of you know the world like you know the weather or something mm. so yeah but yeah do you want to talk about the sea god too well i was just gonna say about the sea god i mean i don't i, don't, I wouldn't have much to add other than um you know the, well, the, think, the design think- of it is you know whenever we ask mira do you think we'll see the idea of evil again he said oh well, i don't know maybe Basically, and then we see the sea god's heart has multiple eyes on it all over the place, and so I don't yeah. have much more to add to it than that. I don't think well, that's too much. Yeah, I, I think he's like. One of yeah, you. Go, go ahead, Grace. I was going to say if you had like presented this theory like before they set sail, and then like the series literally became well, no, but I mean, if it, I, yeah, you did in the thread, but I mean, if we sort of had this podcast then, and you were saying like, so do you guys think that water is going to become like a big deal in the series, and then literally like. <laughs> they just were constantly on water and it became like sailing and be like, wow, like, that was like totally on the money, yeah. you know, but they're probably going to get to Elf Helm and we won't see as much water anymore. Yeah. Well, that being said, I think it's, uh, it's relevant, you know, I mean, in some, you know, small ways that the, the first really big and huge and extremely powerful, you know, astral creature we saw that wasn't, you know, either, you know, some witch like Flora or, you know, a member of the Good Hand or an apostle or anything like that was actually a secret too, you know. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it makes, uh, I think, I think it makes, you know, it is relevant, you know, a tiny bit to this, you know, theory. And, 
Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that Murari used, you know, the design he had originally used for the Eat of Evil to create the Seagod's heart, you know. I think that's also an answer which is not necessarily pleasing to me, but an answer to our request at the time, which is... No, don't say we are probably not going to be seeing the idea of evil again in the series, you know. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he's really the design, you know, for it elsewhere. So, right. I, yeah. I, I we're going to be seeing a different version of it. Or That's because to... they're all the got the children of the idea of evil. That's <laughs> oh my <why>. god, <laughs> we're seeing you. Know, like... You killed my first son. Let's see yeah. You have to kill the, the, you know, eight beasts, uh, you know, with each, you know, their hearts, and then, you know, the true, you know, power, you know, comes up. Yeah, why not? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess we won't be seeing it again, or at least not, you know, not like that. Oh not well, to- I au contraire, because I have the ultimate tinfoil hat theory. Oh, bring it on water yeah. and the idea of evil and everything else. All right. So okay, the water, the ocean it has a deep connection to the astral world. Yep, the idea of evil resides in a deep part of the astral world referred to as the abyss. Boom! So what if the literal physical location where an idea of evil would manifest and eventually emerge was out of the deepest part of the ocean? Yeah, the idea, well, yeah, the idea of evil could be in the world underwater. Well, I, I liked I, I liked the image of it coming out of the sky that you came up with. <laughs> out of Ganeshka. <laughs> Just basically translate that. Take that photoshopped cutout of the idea of evil. Stick it <laughs> on like an overhead shot mirror is done of the sea. And it's, yeah. you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. I like well, it. That might be a preview for a future episode. Yeah. Uh, I totally like the idea that, uh, yeah, if it were connected to the real world through any part, you'd have to be through the ocean. I actually think it's a, it's logical. It makes sense. But, you know, I, I still, I mean, I don't think it's going to, to happen, you know. I, I mean, it would be, I don't know. I think it's too remote, too, you know, big and remote and too far away and too inaccessible to just come into the world. But, uh, you know, I, I might be probably wrong on that, but I don't know. I don't see how it would work. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, among everybody, you know, maybe except Walter, you know, I think would really love to see the Eat of Evil again, so. I would just, like, they should show the sea, they should just be, like, a random, you know, like, five pages in an episode where you see, like, the sea god's body sinking to the bottom of the ocean. And, it, like, it hits the bottom and dust goes up and you just see, like, an eyelid, you know, like, on some, <laughs> you see some massive form down there, even, that dwarfs the sea god. It, like, yeah, that that would be it. that would be fucking awesome. Yeah, and then just you see like a giant <laughs> eye open, you know, and it's like, oh my god! <laughs> it does make me wonder now that we're talking about it. You know, if <clears throat> if we're going to see any kind of manifestation of the idea of evil moving forward, I, I don't know. I don't even. Oftentimes, when we discuss the future, I do have some sort of like you know kind of abstract image in my head of how things will progress, like super abstract. I don't have any notion of how that will happen or if that will happen, honestly. I can't even... Yeah, it is like a how, where, you know. Yeah. yeah none of those W uh, questions are answerable, really. Yeah. Well, I didn't have a lot more on this section. I mostly just want to talk about it because it's something I enjoy talking about because it's one of those massive uh, things that you can... You can look at it a number of different ways and think of any other connections that might be connected to it, but most of them don't work out, as you saw in my tinfoil hat section. Uh, <laughs> doesn't always make sense the way you, you might want it to work out, but, you know, 
it's still a fun little thing. And I, I think it's one of these things that few people realize. Uh, I, I'm, I'm think maybe uh, maybe a handful of Berserk fans are, are aware of that connection or have put together the pieces that these uh, there there is a connection to the astral world and, and, and ocean uh, imagery and, and symbolism to all these things. Well, we know it's, that- more, it's more obvious in Japanese, I think. You know, for Japanese fans, it must you know not be very complicated to realize. Sure. But uh, yeah, when you it goes through the you know translation right. wheel, it uh, comes out a bit you know more murky. Yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those <laughs> things that frustrates me the most about localization. Just the process of localization, you have to drop those those connotations that you have with words that where words can mean multiple things in Japanese. That the kanji representing the words can have multiple different meanings and there's nuances uh, to the words that don't exist in, um, in yeah, and uh, even you know, even when the meanings are same, you know, there's always there's the connotation, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, the word can have exactly the same meaning, but it can have that meaning in a particular context or way or something like that, and it's just so slight and subtle that you, you know, it's not something you can you know easily convey, and I, I think it's often the case, you know, even when it comes to the skull knight, you know, the word for skull. Refers to uh, a wizard skull, you know, more specifically. So, yeah. you know, so it's like, you know, it implies he's old and he's been through, you know, lots of shit and that kind of stuff. You can, you can see a lot of things in it. It's not a big, you know, it's not very important. It's not a big deal because, yeah, it, it refers to a skull, but, you know, yeah, that's la- that little bit, you know, added to it. And it's like that for so many things that, you know, when you accumulate everything, well, in the end, we end up missing out on uh, quite a few things. I think yeah, the people I in the mean, go ahead, Griff. Well, I was just going to say it's like even just words in English, you know, synonyms. You know, you can have two words that mean the same thing, but the connotation is completely different. And then you multiply yeah. that by like the word in Japanese and all the meanings it can have, and it's like just even a a perfect as can be translation, you know, is still going to be sort of you know, it's not going to give you the full story. Yeah, right. of course not. Yeah, definitely. And this is also one of these topics where I feel like we're probably, you know, to some extent scratching the surface of, of what's out there, not just in, in relation to water, but when you start thinking of the series in these terms, in terms of the word that we know this can be probably has multiple meanings and more information that can be drawn from the, from its original name that we're missing out on. You know, there probably is a couple more things out there that like, uh, like, you know, the way that Ganichka speaks being, uh, is, is like an extremely old guy. The way Skull Knight speaking, it's like an extremely old dialect, uh, or, yeah. or usage of the terms. Things like that are completely lost in, in, in translation. Yeah. So. Well, there's just, a fact, you know, yeah, you know, for Ganishka, I guess it's uh, understandable, you know, and there's a thing he speaks like, like Ganishka speaks like an emperor, you know, he doesn't speak formally. like. Formally. Yeah, and uh, of course the Skull Knight also speaks in a very noble way, you know. He uses, you know, a high kind of language. But for example, Zod himself also speaks like an old man, you know, because right. he is old. And that's something, you know, you, you might not, you know, I mean, you might not guess it. And it, it's not something that's obvious, you know, given his character, you know. Like for Ganishka, yeah, sure, he's a, he's a fucking emperor, so he's going to speak as such. But, you know, Zod doesn't look like an old man. He's some kind of, you know... I mean, he looks brutish, you know, but he he doesn't speak, you know, like right. a, a young, you know, brushful guy, like you know, I don't know, like Guts would do, would for example, they they don't speak alike, so you know, sure. there's there's you know there's you know stuff like that. It's you know, it's a bit endless, you know. There's also the fact Farnese speaks very respectfully and you know, you know, somewhat mildly, you know, 
which you know she didn't when the, she was first introduced. You know she was she she spoke differently. So there's m- many things like that. You know if you if we want to spend time on it, you know we could spend a lot of time really talking about all this stuff. You know it shows a lot about the characters. You know it's like you're losing a, a sense basically. Let's say if, you know if you couldn't you know. If you couldn't smell something, yeah. you know, but you could only, you know, yeah. you're basically losing that sense of, you know, like that character because you just, it doesn't translate. Yeah, well, so it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's sad. It's an, it's an extra layer of detail or dimension to the character that is, is lost in translation. Yeah. And, uh, gone. Guts also speaks like extremely gruffly and, and without much respect to anybody. And, and, and yeah, I can't remember well, something else as well about the way he, he speaks. Sp- he speaks, uh, very, you know, briefly, you know, he doesn't, mm. he, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, he's very sort of tilt, laconic. You know? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. the only way that can come across is like you know, if he calls someone an asshat, you know, in the translation right. or something. Which like, yeah, that's, I've that's I've seen people right. I've seen people do that sometimes. Like I remember a bad translate the Hawks translation of yeah. when the ogre shows up. Gut says, "What's this fella?" It's just like, hey, I like oh this fella. <laughs> that's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't have much more to add. Are you sure to that, that, that wasn't the Dark Horse version? Because I could, I could. It was, that. you know, actually, the Dark Horse version was very similar, but it wasn't exactly like that. But you know, oh well. I remember when one of the Dark Horse volumes I read was like strikingly similar to our translations. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I we, went, check. we actually had like a little meeting about it because it was like, wow, these are almost word for word. You know, they were right on. Well, we knew that they they check them from time to time. Um, I, yeah. I think whenever the translator was posting on the board, he actually said we we cross compare our findings to others, and then you know to have a discussion about whether to change ours. Basically, they they take information from multiple sources before coming to a conclusion on their translations. Which well, the, the thing is, uh, to be precise, well, it looks like they hadn't done it till the night before, and then <laughs> copy paste. Yeah. <laughs> The, the translator, you know, he had a friend or something like that, uh, work for him who, you know, checked, uh, not just all translations, but also pretty much everything he could come across, including scanlations from, you know, the hoax and such. And so, and he used that to correct, you know, and that's, uh, you know, the big word to correct, you know, the, you know, the actual translation. You know, from, right. you know, the, the guy doing it. So, you know, I guess at times when they were unsure or they didn't know how to word it or maybe even he felt, you know, the, you know, what the guy did was, you know, a bit, uh, clumsy, you know, it didn't flow well. Well, he just, you know, edited it. And, uh, you know, I think in, in many ways he was, you know, strongly influenced by, you know, the existing stuff, which is, you know, not at all a good way to, you know, do things. So I guess that might explain, you know, some, you know, some of the you know least you know proper sure, you know yeah translation of uh, Dark Horse. You know, whenever I translated <clears throat> volumes thirteen to fourteen, what I did was based it off of um, Arius's translations, which were already pretty bad. This is we're talking. This is nineteen ninety nine or two thousand that I did these, and um, they're, they're the ones that can commonly be found. I'm sorry to say, everyone says, "Why are the translations suddenly go to shit?" Well, that's because I was doing them. And I had no idea what I was doing. And um, basically, I was basing them off of a bad translation. And then what I would do is that line could sound better if I changed the wording. And so I changed the wording on a lot of things like get in my belly, um, which was an Austin Powers reference. Hilarious. Tremendous improvement. Yeah, hilarious. (laughs) 
Actually, I think he actually does say something similar. He's like, you know, get inside my body or something like that. Something similar. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah said, I, that's like that's a whole different can of worms, you know. Like, line <laughs> yeah, my, line my intestines, I think he says. He says, yeah, he says you're going to line my intestines, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> if you go through and look at those now, it's really hilariously bad. And that's that's all due to me, you know, fucking it up. But it's, it's probably the, the lowest, most shameful thing I've ever done. Uh, well, it just... I, I look back know, and I, smile I still. Married, I should have married Ico. That would have been, you know... <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It was pretty good. Griff was trans- free translations for back rubs back in the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days. Ah. Uh. <laughs> I guess we'll uh, move on from Berserk. There's not a lot happening. There's no news on new episodes. I posted a big thread about that, but you guys probably already know all about that at this point. No new news on when it's going to come. So we will move on. Is there anything else happening Berserk-wise? Uh, movie three stuff. I don't really know what's happening with that corner. I haven't really been following that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's an art book released recently, and there's some pictures from movie the- three. A new art book, like because I know they already had an art book for the movies. Is this a it's same the one? same one? It's the same one. Oh. Yeah, I feel well, obligated to get that at some point. The only reason I say it's new is because some newer pictures of it came out recently, and it shows some scenes from the eclipse of movie three that I don't think anybody has seen prior to this. So anyway, no, no not much else going on the forum right now. Um, I've been playing a lot of games, but. Not very much time for game, so I've been playing stuff, kind of dipping my hand into stuff. Uh, after I finished Bioshock Infinite, I can't remember. Yeah, I talked about that last time. So uh, I've been playing uh, Blood Dragon. Uh, I've only had, I have like one or two sittings of that. We talked about that last time on the show. It's basically uh, an homage to everything '80s action movie. Which, in case you guys don't know, it's like you know my favorite genre time of movies is uh, '80s action movies. Uh, this thing like, hits all the high notes of that. It's super cheesy, super ridiculous, uh, set in the far flung future of 2007. <laughs> <laughs> post, post, uh, Vietnam War, War Two. <laughs> toxic, yeah. Toxic wasteland of, uh, the, the world. It's just a ridiculous thing. Um, 15 bucks. It's about eight or nine hours of content. It's basically just Far Cry 3 reskinned. And retooled to be kind of a ridiculous uh, shooter set in the apocalyptic world of 2007. It's really fun. If you are a child of the 80s, you probably should buy this, I think. Yeah. Aziel, have you played it yet? Yeah, yeah, I've played, uh, no, I'm, I'm up to just the first Blood Dragons, you know, when you first actually see, you know, the, the creatures, so. Right. But yeah, yeah, it's been pretty funny. I mean, just, just that, that, you know, that short, you know, time has been, you know, lo- lots of fun already, including, you know, just, you know, I'm the kind of guy who's going to go into the, you know, the options and look at the, you know, descriptions of, of items and that kind of shit. And, uh, you know, the, the, the first gun you get, you know, is actually, uh, from Robocop, you know, and, uh, right. I, yeah, just, just that kind of shit is, is, you know, it's incredible. There's, there's tons of references like that. Like if you go in the wrong direction on the map or just fall off the, a cliff or something like that, uh, the, the message, you know, it, gives you before you know responding you is you know got time to duck you know which is a a, a quote from predator you know so and that's the kind of shit uh, that uh, <laughs> speaks to me so yeah it's pretty great i think and uh i'm excited to to keep playing i would have played it much but uh, i've been busy with uh everquest sure <laughs> yeah i've also been playing uh fez which just came out the same day as blood dragon and i i was recently had a chance to play it it's one of these indie games 
that um, if anybody has seen Indie Game, the movie, it's one of the ones that was featured in that. Uh, I think it took the guy five years, five or six years to make. And you can really tell because uh, similar to Cave Story in a way that you can tell everything was handcrafted, lots of small details in the world. Um, it's much more of a puzzle game than I expected it would be. It's, it, it presents itself as a platformer. But then it kind of shifts things on you where you can – it's a 2D world that you can change uh, dimensions on. Like uh, you can rotate the world uh, 90 degrees each turn. So you can see multiple dimensions of a two-dimensional plane. That's the gimmick of the game. Uh-huh. And uh, what you're trying to do in the world <clears throat> is, is, is reassemble a cube by finding little cube bits. But to get to those, you ha- it has really mind-bending ways you get to things. Uh, it really plays with your sense of – dimension and it's really cool um it's 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 one of these games though where it's so uh high-minded in its design that it comes off as a little uh pretentious at times even without saying anything you can sort of read between the lines of the designer and and see that it's a little it's a little full of itself uh sometimes that works out well because you have to think about things a lot without it being handed to you. And other times you're just like, Jesus Christ, that was extremely esoteric a solution to that problem, you know? So, uh, it's really good though. I would recommend it. It's like nine bucks on steam and I'm sure it's going to sell very well. So what else? What else? Griff, have you been playing anything? Oh, let's see. Crimson shroud, which I've oh, got good. far in. What else? What is, uh, I've been actually replaying a lot of Mario Kart seven. I mentioned that I think on the forum. Just, I don't even you know. Own, I don't even own that. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. You guys never bought that because it would have been fun to have like you know races. But uh, yeah, I, I, my just, thing is my thing is like I, I had Mario Kart DS. I played the shit out of that, like dozens of hours multiplayer. And then when the seven came out, I'm just like I've already done Mario Kart. I don't feel like spending forty yeah. bucks the same experience. Is my thing. What I was hoping with that game is that they were going to bring out DLC tracks to try, you know, all the retro tracks to try and steal my money, and it would have been effective. And instead, they chose, like, for their big DLC game was New Super Mario Bros. 2, which is just, you know, totally uninteresting, where it's like, oh, coin rush, you know, run around and get coins. It's like, who wants to do that? Does yeah. any, you know, do you know anyone who, you know, is into that? I mean, even evidence, like, on a forum of, like, oh, I got the latest coin rush level. Did you, you know, like, I don't think that's, I don't <laughs> no, think that's the way to go. <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, when it, when it comes to online anything, Nintendo is totally clueless and just stabbing in the dark because they're just. But, yeah, but Mario Kart 7's online is actually pretty good other than they just, they should have those tracks available. So you can like, yeah. so I could rebuild Super Mario 64, basically. I mean, Mario Kart 64. I'm confused because. The DS games in the past have been very – I'm sorry, the Mario Kart games in the past have been pretty good about including older tracks, like retro tracks. Did this, one not it ha- this one has retro tracks, but I mean, okay. you know, it's only got the so many. And there's so many of those games now that yeah. it's like retro track from Mario Kart DS. And yeah. it's like, okay, and from Mario Kart Wii. And it's like those are like the last two games before mm-hmm. this one. Does it feel very – so it's like those are tracks that are like taking away from actual like – Mario Kart 1, Mario Kart 64 tracks that feel a little, that, you know, people would actually have some nostalgia for. Yeah. So, mm. I don't know. I was hoping that, the, you know, that there was a great potential there to be like, hey, I can get any track I want. I can build, you know, any sort of race I want from, all, never, from this catalog. But they never, they never yeah. took advantage of it. And I don't really understand why. Because I think a lot of people 
like a lot of people that bought Mario Kart 7 would have bought those tracks, would have gone back and at least bought like, oh, that's my favorite track. Well, I mean, once you, once you start jumping down the, that rabbit hole as far as trying to second guess why Nintendo chooses to do or not do things, uh, it's just like a, you, you go crazy thinking about it. Like, for example, <laughs> for example, the Wii U recently launched its virtual console, which now offers Super Nintendo games. Like, great. That's fantastic. I'm glad they're finally doing that. Um, and then it, around the same time, they announced, which we're going to get to, you know, Zelda on 3DS being a sequel to, to Zelda 3. So if that's the case, if we're trying to market and push Zelda, bring Zelda how come, three out, right? Yeah, how come how come Zelda three is not on the Virtual Console? Wouldn't that make sense if there's all this hype around the sequel? Now's the time to be pushing that out, rolling that out. Doesn't that make sense, Nintendo? Oh, we'll get to that. Uh, we're gonna push uh, Ice Climbers this week, though. Get Ice Climbers for <laughs> NES. It's only five hundred Wii points. You're like, really, guys? They're not thinking about things very well, you know. Anyway, obviously, you know. I don't think Nintendo would ever release a garage sale with ice climbers. Like, yeah, that's the one where you're like, you can take it for free and like yeah. nobody, nobody's interested. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, they're selling it for five dollars, you know, and they're not even getting away for a dollar. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm <laughs> sorry, Nintendo. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> climbers again. So I mentioned it in passing, but yeah, Nintendo did announce uh, a new Zelda for 3DS, which we were everyone, everyone was expecting, but what no one was really truly expecting was uh, to call it a sequel to Zelda 3. You know, yeah. uh, Miyamoto had hinted in the past that he was thinking about doing a game in the style of love that game, kind of overhead perspective, uh, you know, looking at older Zeldas in a different way with 3D. But to call it, you know, a true sequel to it really kind of sets this game up in big shoes. And that's kind of what has me worried about this. Looking at the trailer, I thought it was cool. I think it looks great. It's just... I don't know that they can top it, and so why are they trying to build off of it? Why not just do a whole new thing in that style? That, well, that's, that's my question. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, they've done those games, though. I mean, they've been doing those. The thing is, it's all like Minish Cap and, you know, even yeah. the, the ones on DS. Well, that was Capcom. That wasn't Nintendo. Yeah, I guess you're right. All that was, like, third party, but <clears throat> I don't know. Well, the thing is, if you're looking for that, where it's like, you know, this is sort of, it's auto, it's going to be derivative of, you know, a Link to the Past or Zelda 3. Yeah. Triforce of the Gods. This one's Triforce of the Gods. Zelda 3, Triforce of the Gods 2 or something. It is, yeah. Like, and then, I don't know what actually, they're actually going to brand it as. Yeah, the American title hasn't been announced. They're just calling it uh, New Zelda on 3DS, I think is what they, they call it. I feel like they should just call it A Link to the Past 2. It is. There's no doubt it'll be called that. In my I, 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 I have doubts. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, it would, you know, if you're looking at, like, you know, sort of, what was the, you know, why don't they, just people are saying, like, it looks underwhelming, it doesn't look like you can top that, and it's like, well, their attempt to top that was actually Ocarina of Time, which was a completely, you know, that was, like, the big new, that was, like, the first Zelda 3D sequel that, you know, 3D for its time. Right, right. So, it's interesting that this is sort of, you know, in a sense, you know, it can't, I don't know, it's trying to be that, but it can't really top the feeling of that at the time, you know, and the impact that had at the time. It's going to feel like, it's going to feel retrograde, you know, just automatically, you know, so it's, you know, (laughs) I don't know, it'll be interesting. I'm going to enjoy it for for what it is. I'm going to, I'm going to grade it on a curve. I'm not going to be like grading it on the, you know, a link to the past curve where it's like, well, is this, you know, arguably the best Zelda ever? No. (laughs) It's a failed sequel. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not going to hold it to those standards. It kind of reminds d- me of uh, what they were saying about what was it, Metallica's last album, Death Magnetic, how it's like, oh, they told us to like try to make mass. Like the second half 
if Master of Puppets was a double album, like this would be like what was on the second disc, except that you know you're making it you know forty years, years later. later. <laughs> yeah, you're making it twenty years later, and it's like you're different, and you know it's basically you know it's not the same people producing it is what it comes down to at the same time. So you can't do that. So is I that how expect- was, is that how Death Magnetic was pitched? Seriously, that's how Rick Rubin apparently pitched like the idea to them how to do it, like how to go wow. about making those songs. So that was their own producer telling them like the sort of the mindset to be in for that. So I kind of imagine that's the mindset for this, mm-hmm. like Jeez. you know, like we're making Zelda three two, and mm-hmm. we're gonna try to you know make a game in that style. But you know, it's not gonna. I'm not gonna. I don't know. It's not gonna have that impact. It's not gonna have the nostalgia. Well, it has the nostalgia going for it, but that's eventually that's a double edged sword. So yeah, it's, we'll it's see. Trapped I'm just by nostalgia as well. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm yeah. pretty sure. I'm, I don't I'm, I'm gonna pretty like. sure I'm gonna like it as well. It's just a matter of. Uh, I don't think it's gonna recapture that same level of glory as that. Yeah. First the game. only way it could disappoint me is if it's literally like you know. Either frustratingly simple or frustratingly like complex, and that they make like you know just a bunch of they try to go over the top, or if it's too short, like that. Well, be- it could also be run of the mill, you know. I mean, yeah, that would be the simple. Like, I know thing. I I liked Wind Waker, but you know, playing as uh, a sequel on the NDS, you know, it wasn't bad, but it was also not that good. You know, it was just average, I guess, and. uh that's the thing I'm most afraid of. That it will just be average, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, dungeons, yeah, new stuff, but you know, just another Zelda game. Yeah, like what I said, the not, past slapped on it. Yeah, not glorious, you know. Like, you know, that's not inspired. So yeah. that's actually my biggest fear because if it's not inspired, I won't like it. You know, I mean, I, I love the the original. You know, I, I really love it. It was a big part of my childhood. But the thing is, you know. They can slap the same graphics and update it and do more dungeons, such a thing. It won't be enough. Like, uh, version 1.5 won't be, you know, it won't suffice. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I hope, I hope they'll really do something big with it and, uh, you know, and they will be inspired, you know, to do something great, you know, not just and good. That's, that's the danger with a project like this too, because it's like, it's almost like because you're putting on, you know, that name, you almost, it's like, oh, well, we yeah. can't go too far. We can't stray too far from that formula, and that's going to hold it back, you know. Yeah, so. at, at the same time, I think people are going to have big expectations, you know. Where it just be, you know, uh, the last three years and, you know, you know, they're just giving it another shot. I'll be, oh, well, we'll see. But, you know, now Isn't I'm Link's like... Link's Awakening, A Link to the Past too, also, in a way? Oh, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's, uh, it's, it's derivative, but so, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, because uh. Because we already had, like, the 3D, the big 3D tentpole, like, you know, inspired sequel in Ocarina, and the, yeah. like, the direct, you know, sequel. So this is sort of like the third one in that, uh. Yeah. In that line. Hmm. I think they're gonna, I think they're just gonna forget that, you know, Link's Awakening existed, even though, I thought it was pretty clear that it was a continuation of that character, wasn't it? I mean, he was like, after that adventure, he set out to sea, and then he yeah. got shipwrecked, and then, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, now, was yeah. that, I mean, I know they have the shipwreck in the beginning. Do they actually explain that it was after the adventure? Is that like I one of those so. classic I Nintendo, so in like, beginning. in the instruction manual that has a made-up story from Nintendo of America? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's, I that's think, probably yeah. it, because the intro is just him at sea getting shipwrecked. Yeah. That's it. You know, there's yeah. no words to it. But yeah, in the in the manual, I'm pretty sure it explains uh, after saving the princess, he set out to sea to you know in yeah. search of new adventures or something completely generic like that, which they uh, no doubt made up. Yeah, <laughs> something that the Link character like wouldn't do, like 
later, you know, just from like when they sort of added a little like characterization to him. He wasn't like, you know, characterized as a guy that's like, well, I'm just looking for adventure, looking for a good time. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually started replaying that again, or actually finishing the the play that I have of it uh, after the 3DS announcement. It still really holds up. That game, Link's Awakening, that is, is really fantastic. Uh, I'm always surprised uh, how well it holds up after all these years. I remember playing through it nonstop. It was one of the first games that I played nonstop start to finish once I bought it as a kid. And playing through it now when I'm older, I'm always surprised. Like, how did I get past this stuff? Some of it is some challenging stuff in that game. More challenging than <laughs> Modern Cell does for sure. No, I, I don't think I did. I don't. I didn't have a strategy guide, and I remember... Playing yeah. it, we were on vacation at the time. So I was, you know, there was no internet. This is 92 or so, so. Well, I don't think it was that like... difficult. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at some of these dungeons thinking, okay, I need, I need to sk- kill this skeleton in this room and then find room two and kill him here. Then travel back to room one. You know, man, when we were kids, we were, you know, we had a different kind of, you know, focus, you know, abilities. We yeah. just, you know, no, we're like autists, so you just you know go and go and do it and again and again. Yeah. Well, in all fairness, as you did spend at least like two years of your childhood just playing the original Legend of Zelda, so you know it's easy for you to say it was pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I guess you know the worst that would have to be Castlevania two, you know, where I was about, to, t- say, I was about to say, yeah. This. I, you know, at the time, of course, I didn't fucking speak English because I was like you know seven years old, and uh, you know. You know, there was no translation available. And, you know, and, and, so, and so dialogue in the game, anyway, the guys, you know, they lie to you. The fucking NPCs, they, they fucking lie to you. They give you wrong information. Half of them just bullshitting you. So uh, even after, you know, you know, terrible, you know, attempts at understanding what the fuck they were saying, like calling the, I don't know, the Nintendo hotline and asking them for translations <laughs> for this shit. And, and these guys were just losers, you know, uh, so they didn't know shit. Even then, you know, it's fucking bullshit. So my god, I had to, I, it was just trial and error through, throughout the whole fucking game. My god, it was terrible. And you know, the same goes for Zelda 2 actually. Zelda 2 with their fucking, you know, cryptic, you know, speech and other such bullshit and, you know, counterintuitive, you know, stuff. But, my name you know, is Air. I yeah, am yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am Air. Thinking back, you know, it was good times, but you know, I, I still remember, you know, I still remember those things, you know, wondering about, you know, some guy telling you, ah, you need a more powerful weapon before you come back here. And I was like, what the fuck? What does he mean? What, yeah. what does it refer to? Yeah, I just needed, you know, I just needed a bigger whip. That's it. Well, you but, know, in, in, in the original Zelda, I was listening to a podcast this week and they said, you know, when you start the very, when you very, very start the game, you have no equipment and you're, you're, you're presented with a screen with, uh, three ways to go. You're up, east or west. There's also, also, there's also a cave. Yeah. In, yeah. These days, if that game was released today, would you go to the cave or would you go to one of the directions? And if you went in the directions, you wouldn't have a sword. <laughs> you would be yeah, yeah. wandering around being hit by enemies with no way to defend yourself. But now we know, of course, you go in the, in the cave and you get the old man to give you the sword. But, you know, the way that the games are designed these days, they wouldn't even give you that option. You start with the sword. You, know? you would try yeah. to go, like, one of those other directions and it would stop yeah. you and tell you, you have to go back, you know. Right. No yeah. Reason, you know. I'd, <laughs> I'd better check out that cave first, you know. That kind of, it's that kind of shit, yeah. And the, the other thing in Zelda 1, talking about, you know, esoteric clues is, at one point, I think it's Dungeon 5 or 6, you can't progress at all until you uh, somehow in the world map find... Uh, the guy that's in a cave, it's an, it's an enemy type, um, 
And all he says when he walked up to him was grumble, grumble. That's all it says. It's a, it's a, like, it's a moblin, yeah. yeah. <laughs> moblin says just a grumble, grumble. And you're supposed to know that that means he wants a hunk of meat. So you're supposed to know to go to give him the hunk of meat. And you give him a hunk of meat and he goes, oh, okay, well, here's this thing. It's a secret to everybody. Uh, a, How are you supposed to know these things? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, as a kid, I didn't have trouble with that, actually. You know, <laughs> his stomach is grumbling. He needs meat, you know. It makes sense some kind of weird way. But he's but, not, uh, he's not, he's he's saying grumble, grumble. He's my not. dad used to grumble when he was hungry. I mean, I, I figured it <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, maybe again, it because I didn't speak English at the time, but yeah, it made some kind of, you know, sense to me. But, uh, you know, actually, I think this, uh, you know, this, this kind of stuff, the way it's designed, the way you can go left and uh, just, you know, you don't have a sword and you get killed and you're like, well, what's happening, you know? Yeah. Well, it's also what makes the charm of uh, games like, you know, Dark Souls, you know, for example. Sure. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm not. I'm not berating it. I'm just saying that. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm, I, I'm just pointing it out because uh, yeah. I know you love the game, and uh, I think that that you know people often talk about these games, and you know they are, they're just talking about how hard it is and that kind of bullshit. But what's really what really makes the charm of the game to me is uh, the fact it's uh, obscure. You know, it just puts you in there. There's you can go in you know different directions. You can do a lot of stuff. It doesn't tell you what to do, where to go, or anything like that. You have to find it out by yourself. And I, yeah. I think that's to me that's actually the main you know like the main attraction of the game. You know is, is that you know the fact you know you're not you know nothing's holding your hand. You know nobody's telling you what to do or what not to do or, or whatever. It's very very light and uh, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say it. It forces you to part, you know, to fully participate and have your own unique like way of doing it. Whereas if you play one of the new Zelda games, everyone's going to play it the same way because they're on the same rails and they're getting the same advice. Like, yeah. oh, you got to go do this. So you know, whereas if you play a game like like the old, the first Zelda or like Dark Souls, it's like you're going to want, you know, everyone's going to have a different experience where it's like, oh yeah, I wandered around in the totally wrong place looking for the answer in a totally different way than someone else for an hour. And, you know, it it gives you a, you know, sort of a unique experience and a happy memory. And, you know, you feel you you participate more fully. You know, you can't be on, you're not on autopilot. Yeah. Really looking for answers, you know, whereas those other games are sort of, it feels like you're on rails. Well, the thing is, uh, it actually, you have to, you know, make an effort to, you know, interest yourself in the game, you know, instead yeah. of the game, trying continuously to attract your attention and keep you in and keep you playing, like, you know, oh, come on, come on, look at, look, look here, look here, you know, instead of that, it's like, you have yourself to go and not research, but, you know, like, you know, put a, a true, you know, effort into it. And, uh, of course, the reward is, you know, more, yeah. you know, let's say, more pleasing to you as a more result. More fulfilling. And also, because yeah. it gives you a sense of, like, like conquering the game, beating the game, figuring it out, as opposed to just sort of experiencing it or going through it. You know, a lot of these games, it's like reading a book, you know, almost, or watching a movie, rather than, like, ah, you know, I can't figure this out, and being frustrated with it, and then figuring it out and feeling like, you know, yeah, you know, I did it. You know, it's not as much of that. I do think um, we're at a stage in the development of video games where people do often compare them to movies in the sense that, well, what's different between a video game and a movie? Nothing. Like, well, yeah, some of it, so much of it is a guided experience. I think it's gotten away from what's great about games in particular, and I, I, want, I think we'll get back to that uh, at yeah. some point in game design. We're just in this weird kind of muddled state where they're so focused on popularity that you're not making a, a true experience. You're making a guided tour of, of a world rather than – you being and living in the world, you know? 
so many games are like that. Just mm. sad. Um, while we're talking about, uh, earlier we're talking about multiplayer experiences and I, I want to pin in a section and maybe in the next podcast or maybe the next one after that where we talk about our favorite multiplayer experiences because I have so many hilarious stories of games that I've played online with people and, and how things worked out with that. Azeel, I'm sure you have EverQuest stories and Griff, you might have some stories as well playing online, Diablo stuff, but, um, I can think of just talking about stuff today. I thought of three or four different just crazy adventures that have people online that I think we could talk about as a subject for future podcast. Yep. Um, last thing listed on the show is Nintendo at E3. I care about this less uh, now than when I wrote it in. Uh, basically, the news is Nintendo has chosen to not hold a press conference at E3, likely in the in the wake of the PS3's announcement. Or sorry, PS4 and the new Xbox announcement. You know, actually, I don't think it's a big deal. You know, and, I, I care uh, about. Yeah, I'm the same way. I care about it less now than I did before. The, the thing is, it. I think it's not necessarily even motivated by those announcements. I think you know, Nintendo's not you know making too much money these days because the Wii U is not exactly a, a success, you know. And uh, I think they've, they've noticed that, uh, you know, their announcement, uh, when they do it by video, is, I, don't, I don't know if it's called Nintendo Live or whatever. Nintendo you know? Direct. Yeah. You know, it just works, you know. Actually, I, I think it works better than, you know, their live conferences, you know, where there's just, you know, usually either they're not too bad, but still kind of embarrassing, or they're just, you know, full-on embarrassing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when it's just, you know, uh, Iwata or, you know, Reggie, you know, showing games, you know, making a small speech, showing games, you know, it costs them less. And uh, I think as many people, you know, and end up, you know, watching it. So I think the, you know, re- reasoning behind it was just... You know, it's a win-win for them. They spend less money, and you know, as they've also, as they haven't been at the Tokyo Game Show for years, you know, you know that they, you know, they won even before Space World, but when they stopped it, they didn't go back. And I think, uh, yeah, they're just, you know, the rationale is that it's just costing less money, and many third-party developers, you know, attempt to do the same. So I'm really not surprised at all. I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah, uh, it's, it's bothered me less as I've thought about it, but I, I do think they're, they're missing an opportunity here to, to add emphasis to why the Wii U is relevant. You know, they're, they're basically skipping that opportunity here. There's an opportunity to, to resell the Wii U to those that are, either they have not yet seen why it's relevant, because I, I haven't seen that it's relevant yet. They well, haven't sold me a game yet. And they're, they're basically missing that chance to, to sell that to that it's audience. It's almost instead. like they're seeding the, the point, you know, like they're, they're just seeding the race, like and that's well, so a, that's a perception. It might not be real, like as says, but it's just that it puts that perception out. Well, there. the thing is, at the same time, you know, it's not like uh, either of us is going to be at uh, E3, you know, and uh, we we watch the line, we watch the videos, and you know, their event is going to have a video online, and, and we'll watch it all the same. So. You know, the way I see it, it's, it's the same, you know, in, in the end, you know, the people who are interested are going to watch the video, as those who don't care are not going to watch it, but it's not like, you know, all these people, you know, going there to see the Wii U won't be able to see it or anything like that, so, uh, to me, it won't, it won't make much of a difference. I'm gonna miss Reggie, though. Well, you know, he might, he might actually do the video, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's not I'm, the same on video, man. He's not the same he when me. he's like his like when his, he's rehearsed. 
I like his nervous, sweaty self when he's on stage, and you don't know what could happen. You don't know when the next "My Body Is Ready" might come. You know, unrehearsed, candid line. You know, you know. Oh, I, miss, I miss that stuff. Well, he, he might be, uh, you know, interviewed by some buffoon, you know, after a while, like uh, like every time, you know. So yeah. he gets yeah. caught off guard every show. Last year it was. Oh yeah, of course we're bringing Fire Emblem over. And then his PR guys goes, "You can't announce that yet." Like, oh, we're working on it. <laughs> it <was> like, yeah. <laughs> the next day, it was like Fire Emblem's coming. Thanks a lot, Reggie. Like, yeah, sorry guys. Of course, uh, the new Batman on Wii U will have new content. No new content. <laughs> well, oh well. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's got that new oh, it armor. Did. It's the it armor armor edition, right? Yeah. Sure. It's embarrassing. <laughs> ah, I'm going to miss Reggie. And I- Iwata, he wasn't even at last year's show. So, whatever. Anyway, yeah, it's more of a, a, a if you're already a Nintendo fan, you're probably already watching Nintendo Direct. But they're not going to have that presence, you know. I, I mean, that's kind of inarguable that they're not going to have the same level of coverage as, like, a, a large publication is going to give. And the inevitable question is going to come, well, where's Nintendo? Why isn't Nintendo here? And and so the speculation begins. Are they dropping out of the hardware race? Are they going to become software only? You know. Well, as these things always uh, gives them more publicity, even you know, yeah. they can, uh, by being the outsider. Be like, where's Nintendo? Sure. Honestly, I'm not convinced it will make much of a difference. You know, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll have to be, you know, I have to see it to believe it. I think it's going to be very, you know, very mild. Not a, yeah. not a big deal. This year, anyway, will, is going to be stolen by Microsoft. I mean, if they are not too dumb, you know, they're going to announce their next hardware, so it will be you know all about them. Probably Sony will have will try to show some stuff, but I think they've exhausted most of their ammunition uh, at this point. Well, Sony's kind of talked around what their big you know thing is. They they haven't announced any exclusives or something like that. Uh, they haven't shown a lot of games. They showed Killzone, I think, was their big reveal. At the at their show in February, but um, uh, Microsoft has an event later this month to unveil their system, uh, and I'm, I'm assuming they'll see, show a lot of games and exclusives. Everyone expects the new Infinity Ward game will be an exclusive to Xbox, uh, and that'll be shown at E3. That's the next big thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. This is not uh, you know this type of crowd won't be missing uh, Nintendo. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, still, I'm, I'm looking forward to E3 less than I was when I heard that announcement, and that's what there really won't be people like decrying, like, "Wait, are we going to learn about the next Mario game?" <laughs> you won't hear that at E3. <laughs> no, I think, I think they'll actually. I do think they will show the next Mario at during Nintendo Direct, and I, I yeah. imagine they're going to do it before the other shows because they have the opportunity here to be the first ones out of the gate. Because they're not they're not beholden to a a press conference date anymore. They can just run yeah. it whenever they want. That, to, be, you know? yeah, that being said, uh, I'm not sure. You know, being first is always a good uh, you know a good decision because uh, coming last, like bringing out the Wii U first, which is or arguably last <laughs> from like yeah. the last generation. Like you're sort of they're always they're caught in the middle. It feels like they're caught in between. Yeah. Yeah, it it was you know actually I'm I'm surprised at this decision. It, I I don't feel it was very you know what to say. It didn't have much acumen to to it. But uh, yeah, then I mean, again, they didn't they didn't need to act. I didn't feel like yeah, like they could have they could have waited and brought out you know something to compete with the PS4 and uh, the, yeah. the new Xbox and then just you know and then just been like oh and we're also we make the best games out of those three companies. Yeah, like, think- as far as in house goes. The Wii had held out, you know, uh, you know, not necessarily, you know, always valiantly, but 
valiantly, but they had managed to, you know, skip like, you know, that generation with the Wii, you know, and they could have, you know, tried to, you know, catch up, like not necessarily have, you know, really top of the line, you know, ultra strong hardware or anything like that, but, you know, some things that could have allowed, you know, third party, you know, uh, let's say, you know, manufacturers to, to make, you know, games, you know, uh, that were compatible for the Wii U, you know, easily, you know, as well as for the new Xbox and new, you know, PlayStation. But, you know, they went for something that was an upgrade, but, not enough, not nearly enough, and uh, so it's not—it's not a surprise, you know. They are caught in the same situation they they were last time, and I just, you know, honestly, it's puzzling. It's like you know, you'd have to be stupid not to have seen it coming, but you know, then again, you know, when you watch what Sony's done with the uh, PS Vita, you know, they reproduce exactly like what they did with the PSP, and you know, again, you have to you know be stupid not to have seen it coming. Like it didn't mm-hmm. work once. Oh yeah, well let's do exactly the same thing again, and you know. Well, it didn't, you know, didn't fail, you know, it just, yeah, it fucked up again, you know, so, actually, I, I really wonder sometimes what these people think, you know. I don't know, I mean, the the Wii U, to me, has got a number of problems, not only if you consider it being just the ass end of this generation's hardware, <laughs> moving into the new generation, which is probably a poor, uh, big mistake as far as having legs in the next generation, yeah. but also the title, you know, uh, I don't like to be the guy to make fun of titles, but it's gotten such confusing branding uh, uh, identity now that Nintendo recently pushed out an update to all Wii's, to all Wii owners. So when they turn it on, they get a little message and it says, you can upgrade to the Wii U. The Wii U is not just an, uh, 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 you know, an upgrade. It's a whole new system. Like that, They're making this explicitly yeah, clear to people that aren't fully aware that the Wii U is not just an add-on. It's a whole new system. They had to go you know, out of their way to say this. <laughs> You know? Well, uh, yeah, it was the same Maybe for the 3DS, actually. Yeah, I remember. I fucking of the gods to signals an intelligent sort of switch in this mentality. We're gonna get the Super Nintendo too, finally. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And it's basically well, it's gonna it, be like a PS4 and a Xbox, you know, yeah. <laughs> 362 combined. <laughs> so yeah, here's how. It what goes. if the what if the next Mario what if the next Mario is Super Mario World 2? Boom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, wait, it. that was Yoshi's Island. <laughs> Only in America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like, I like Yoshi's Island. That's a fun game. Yeah, it was good. Apparently, uh, Miyamoto doesn't like it, though. Really? really? You, you don't remember the controversial comments he made about where he threw Donkey Kong Country under the bus and said he had to dumb down the gameplay for, you know, Yoshi's Island to sort of be similar? No. And I think I later he... Look that up. That okay. that happened, I believe, in an interview where he like made some like pretty you know like pretty damning comments about Donkey Kong Country and Yoshi's Island in relation, and how you know like oh yeah we had to make it like those games and really dumb it down, and then later it's like <laughs> maybe it was like some translation you know errors you know they they said something where he's like oh I didn't really I was just frustrated with the the process because <laughs> he's usually you know as nice as can be. I was about to yeah. say it's a very direct quote from Miyamoto, who's generally very jovial and like, you know, Cryptic. all positive. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking mm. up right now. That's no big deal. Are you still playing Diablo three? By the way, uh, I haven't gotten to play it since I got my new job. I want to beat. Uh, let's see. I I looked up that quote by the way. I'll say it in a minute. But yeah, I just I just want to check in and see if I can beat it on MP10. I was very close, but the game developed it got worse. It developed a problem where it would just randomly disconnect you. 
So I'd be like halfway through an, an hour and a half process of beating Diablo on the highest, you know, monster power setting, and it would disconnect me. Wow. And so it was wow. like, all right, screw this, and I haven't played it since that happened last time because yeah. I haven't had time. And because that's one of those, you know, that's that's one of those eras where it's like, well, see a game. You know? Yeah, I can't, I can't play this. I literally yeah. am not being allowed to. So, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, here's the supposed quote from uh, Miyamoto. It was Donkey Kong Country proves that players will put up with mediocre gameplay as long as the art is good. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not wow. <laughs> well, I I doubt. I highly doubt it's actually from him because that's you know that really doesn't sound like something he'd say. Yeah, that's yep. so uncharacteristic of him to be so yeah, critical of Yeah, it's just, you know, I, actually, just from the wording, I can be 100% sure it's not true. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> definitely that's not the way he speaks, you know, and as that's not the way, you know, Japanese people speak in general, so. Unless maybe they caught him like a, a microphone under a bathroom stall conversation kind of thing. Like caught him out of character. Yeah. Just taking a crap or something. I can't imagine any other circumstance. Wait, Morgan, here's a post with someone explaining it. The story goes that Miyamoto was working on Yoshi's Island at the time. And due to Donkey Kong Country's success, Nintendo was pressuring him to make Yoshi's Island visual style look like Donkey Kong Country. Country. Supposedly this frustrated him, which let him – led to his tirade against DKC and subsequent overhaul of Yoshi's Island visual design to resemble crayon drawings. Miyamoto does point out that this story may have been taken out of context, and he did work on Donkey Kong Country as a producer and supervisor, and also kept in touch with Rare during production. <laughs> so, I don't know. The funny part about the story is Donkey Kong Country looks like garbage. Like oh, now it garbage. No, it does, but at the time it looked pretty good, I guess. Yeah, sure. Hey, don't yeah. country alone. <laughs> that was like I was actually <laughs> earlier in the show. I was about to say Donkey Kong Country is garbage, but I hey. didn't want to go that far. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, Donkey Kong Country is pretty good, man. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. Me and my friend had like the Donkey Kong Championship every year, where we'd play Donkey Kong Country one and two head to head for mm-hmm. like basically for bragging rights. It was great when we became adults and it would be like, there'd be like two 30 packs of beer involved in this competition, which really, <laughs> it could really change the game. Like I could, you could, you would, there'd really be strategy involved where I'd like slow down and let him drink more and I'd stop drinking. And then it's like, Oh, making a comeback at the end. That reminds me, Griff. I wanted to tell you, um, I was looking up for, for a while, I was looking up speed runs of games. So it's just something fun to watch. I like, I like speed runs and engine Gaiden, by the way. It's fun stuff to watch. I looked up Sonic 2, uh, one, World 1-1. One, one. Yeah. Your time is pretty much faster than anything I've seen on YouTube. Uh, and as far as, like, you know, records is concerned. 26 or 22 seconds, something like that, wasn't it? I can't remember what it was. I think it was 22 seconds. But anyway, it was, it was faster than the ones I found online, which were, like, you know, record holders of those that, you know, post on YouTube anyway. So, congratulations. Oh, no one can hear me. Oh, wow. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That makes me very proud. What else? Oh, um, can you hear me now, guys? Yep. Yeah. Okay, random. That was weird. I was what I was saying was it was destroying uh, my glory. You know that I have the fastest Sonic Two time on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a pretty big deal, man. Because speedruns—that's a pretty big crowd that actually does it's that. Speedruns of like a game that's supposed to be the fastest game. So it's that's like right. if you have a speedrun of Sonic, I mean, I feel like that makes me—it's like being the fastest man alive at the Olympics. I get to wear like gold shoes now, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so I have gold gloves for my my gameplay hand. 
Also, in related to your fame recently, um, you know that 20 years later image you came up with that has like, you know, Gambino Isidro and yeah. Godo Guts, you know? That thing pops up on the Japanese forum from time to time. Someone will just post the image to it and mention like, this is what Berserk will be like 20 years in the future or something like that. And then, you know, everyone always comments on it like, why does a Sidro look like Gambino? Like everyone's like <laughs> trying to like pick it apart. Like this isn't, this isn't real. Like, yeah, guys, uh, nice being five years late to this joke, you know? Yeah, it, it isn't. <laughs> You're right. right. This looks like a shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can tell from some of the pixels. I've seen many shops in my time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have much more for the show. We're pretty much off topic here already. So if anybody needs to bail, go ahead and bail. Um, I have more yards. If anyone has like an extra half hour, we could talk about like the top five most significant and or best Zeldas. I don't, I always want to have that debate. <laughs> it's pretty easy to me. It's like, you know, Zelda three, Zelda one, Ocarina of Time. There you go. That's my three. Done. Yeah. I said five, but uh, oh, five. Well, three, three I don't have, I don't have five actually. Well, then yeah, three I, is really all you need. Yeah, if, if I don't know. You, I feel like Wind Waker though is like nudged its way in there where it sort of has to be mentioned. I, I here's the thing with Wind Waker. I love the potential of Wind Waker. I didn't actually enjoy playing the game that much. Whenever yeah. I think back to Wind Waker, I really, I mean, I'm in love with the art style. <laughs> view of the world, the presentation of uh, Hyrule being revealed like that. I love, I love the whole scenario. I think it's awesome. But I never, I didn't really get into playing the game at the time. I need to revisit it probably. You know, I would actually mention uh, Link's Awakening and uh, Zelda 2 before Wind Waker. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Zelda yeah. 2. Zelda, Zelda 2 is the fucking number 4, <laughs> not the number 5. It's the number 4. I'm surprised it's that low on your list, given everything you've said about it. No, no, actually, actually, you know, I, I, I really like Zelda too, but uh, I can you know, see Zelda... it being in a top ten. I mean, you know, it would have Zelda to be, it fifth. It would have to be fifth on my list, you know, after after Link's Awakening. But yeah, it, it would be there because I think at the time it did a lot of things uh, differently. You know, it went in a bold new direction. Oh, yeah. And, and I think it was, I think it was honestly pretty good, you know, for what it did, you know. It, it was very, you know, a lot of things in it are, are pretty cool, you know. The fact you level up your abilities, you choose mm-hmm. what to do, and the world was pretty, you know, large, and you know, many small things, you know, small and big, and even the, of course, the famous return of Ganon, you know, at the end. Everything, I, I think it's a really, a pretty cool game. I like the combat in it a lot. Link's puny ass sword aside. Being able to jump yeah. and put the sword down. Yeah, and yeah. The, the temples, you know, the bosses, you know, the ways, the music. There's a lot of cool stuff. You know, the fact, you know, after you defeat, you know, the temple and put in the, the stones, you know, the, how to say, they turn to stone, you know, you can't, you know, visit them again, you know, all that stuff. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Well, yeah. here, <clears throat> here's, well, here's, well, that sort of brings to the point what you said, how it went in a different direction. Because I was thinking, like, there's only five purely sort of unique, you know, Zeldas, and that's the first one, the second one, Ocarina of Time, Phantom Hourglass, and then Skyward Sword. Because of the different gameplay, you know, mechanics. Sure. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. would Skyward Sword even count as different than Ocarina of Time? Yeah, because of the full motion sword. I mean, it really is yeah, different. but, you know, fuck that. He doesn't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I don't know. Sorry to be an extremist, but, uh, you know, Skyward Sword doesn't, you know, 
it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not eligible in my, in my book, you know. Well, I'm just saying, I mean, neither does Phantom Hourglass just taken as a, like, it's not, like, if yeah. you wanted to go with, like, the best ones, you could just pick, like, the five sort of flagship ones for each system, like, yeah. for me, it would be The Legend of Zelda, it would be Triforce of the Gods, Zelda 3, then Ocarina of Time, then Wind Waker, then Skyward Sword. I actually, I like Skyward Sword. It, it disappointed me, but I still, like, I still enjoyed a, a lot of it. Well. Enough, and the, I, I really like the controls, too. Yeah. That sort of makes Seeing thing is I like the controls, even though I think they didn't exploit them as well as they could have. But you know the controls don't do everything, and I think the rest of the game was was lacking in a way. But you know, l- let me ask you a question: What about uh, Majora's Mask? Yeah, well, that's the that's in the top. I guess the top the top ten list is interesting because you can take those. You can basically take the best of both those lists if you take the most sort of significant and unique ones, and like the yeah. ones that are sort of the most you know like. I guess, like the biggest flagship legendary titles. And they sort of pair very naturally for like Zelda 1 and 2 are a pair. Then you yeah. have uh, A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening. Then yeah. you have Ocarina of Time and Jorah's Mask. Then you have, um, what is it, Wind Waker and Phantom Hourglass. And then, uh, what is it, Wolfie Boy, the game. And, Twilight uh, Princess. Sky Wait, Wait, yeah. Princess. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. Because you know what? That one has sold 8 million copies. That's sort of – it's funny for to ignore that one because it's like – that's like more people have played that than any other Zelda except yeah. for Ocarina of Time. And, well, you have and, to, and you have to consider is, the install base. It's, it's the Wii. It's the effect of the Wii. Yeah, and, and the thing is also uh, – you know, I really liked Midna. You know, in that game. You know, I really, yeah. really liked the character. You know, I, I well, like she's the, she's the main character, so you know that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, in, in many ways, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things in uh, Twilight Princess that were uh, underwhelming to me, but uh, the game is pretty good. You know, in many ways, it's and too. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, I really liked Midna. You know, the story was not very inspired, but they had their little twist and such. And yeah, globally, you know, I, I would actually have to, you know, if if there were to be a, a sixth game, I think, and uh, that might be uh, blasphemy because you know, I think I might put uh, Twilight Princess, you know, as a sixth place, you know, before Wind Waker. But wow. uh, you know, yeah, the what thing the is, it's it's been a long time since I played Wind Waker, so I maybe I'm remembering remember it it wrong but you know i don't know the fact you know the end of the game is just you know a time sink you know having to you know say the seas to do the stuff i don't know i like the game but it's like you said earlier i i think i, I like it more as a concept than i had fun playing it i don't know actually i can't yeah i i just leave it up to the you know five first games and you know the others can all be equal while you're thinking highly of Twilight Princess, just remember that at one point you go back and like fight some abominable snowman in his mansion or some shit. Isn't that? Yeah, funny? it's true. Yeah, it's what true. The fuck? Yeah, I know. That, yeah, but you know what? Uh, here's here's my defense of that: is that that's like one of like a dozen things you do, and it's so, so it's almost a throwback to like. You know, not even a link to the past, but you do go into a lot of random dungeons in a link to the past where it's like, wow, they've got another dungeon here. It's sort yeah. of like that, but also it even Blind reminds man. me of yeah. like it reminds it, me of uh what is it? What's the game? Uh Secret of uh Secret of Mana, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're fighting that. Santa. Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. Yeah. Well Santa Claus was possessed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was no, just saying, you fight a possessed abominable snowman woman <laughs> yeah. at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so the thing is uh the thing is, you know, 
I, I actually have some kind of appreciation for that because it's a dungeon that, you know, how to say, that doesn't follow the fucking same old, you know, dungeon template. Temple. Yeah. yeah it's, you, see, you found it's, the temple. It's like, that was the other nice thing. That game had all those found locations. Where yeah. it was like, you know, the dungeon is actually like, it's not just a designated, yeah. oh, there is a dungeon to right. wander and do puzzles in. Go yeah. in there and solve it. You know, it's like actually like the place is sort of organically there, like a ca- yeah. an old castle or an old house or something. Yeah, an old uh, manor. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like to really like yeah, that, that one. That, see, now that's the one where, to me, on paper, Twilight Princess is like that's the best Zelda ever. They put everything in that one. They they had every little story element from all the other games. They even like sort of were cribbing, you know, like Okami. And you know, not even intentionally, but they sort of touched on that in Shadow of the Colossus. The bosses were all huge, and you know, but at the same time, it's like it's the one that I always have the least fond memories of sort of playing it. Like you know, I have all these like sort of yeah. like ah, oh, I got to do this chore with the bugs, and now I got to do this. <laughs> I, I've I've played it through all the way twice, so I mean that is a testament. It's not like it's unplayable, but it's also you know when I try I've tried to replay it twice more since. Like I tried to replay it on the Wii because I hadn't played that version, and then I tried it on my PC on Dolphin. And I just got bogged down with the bullshit where it's like, oh, you got to go. You got to go do this before you go to the next dungeon. And also those dungeons, are they're pretty big. So it's like, you know, it's just it's a chore, you know, and it's like, well, I think I'll stop playing before I do this. And then you never go back. Mm. You're happy for it. (laughs) So I don't know. That one is what's your we've, we've talked around this. What's your list, Griff? My list would probably be. <clears throat> like like I said, I just go. I'm going. I'm going to go chalk. I'm just going to go with like the five easy answers. It's the first game. It's uh, a link to the past. Ocarina. Whoa, of whoa, whoa! Stop right there. Your first is link to the past. No, but the fir- oh, I'm not giving it in order. I'm just saying the top five games. I'm actually going chronological. Wait, wait. I'm asking your top five Zelda games. My top five Zeldas. Oh, okay, Ocarina of Time. See, That's top five. Uh, Ocarina of Time. A link to the past. Then it gets kind of murky. Wind Waker, I might have it third. Wow. Like, yeah, I mean, that's high. Even I where, does one, that's where does one fit for you? Um, Let's see. I'm trying to don't tell else. me it's not in the list. <laughs> but it's got to be in the top five. It's like, you know, if you know if you really want to go top three purist mode, it would be. A, but at the same time, A Link to the Past it does it. It does it better. So it doesn't really. Uh, I don't know. I'd I, say. I'd I put Wind Waker in there just because of the whole the ocean concept. I like that they they really did do something different, both the art, the story. I thought it was a lot more mature and sort of self aware. It you know like whereas Twilight Princess is the opposite, where it's sort of like it's trying to be like the Peter Jackson's Legend of Zelda. Yeah, definitely. like it really is like sort of doing that, you know. And everyone is sort of obtuse and like we're in a fantasy story and we're wacky fantasy characters and we, we you know and it's like there's no sort of you know and Link is totally a bore. Whereas in, you know, Wind Waker is a little more, it's like the game where it's like, it's for adults and it, you know, it'll make you, you know, feel like you're going back to your childhood. It sort of acknowledges the fact that, you know, it's like the people that were kids when they played these games are adults now. I feel like it sort of cleverly does that. So that would be my third one. And then uh, I guess the, the first game in Skyward Sword I throw in there just because I like the control so much. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I Twilight think- Princess, that might be the, like, you know, on paper, it's the best one and sold really well, but it's like, eh, it's not really, I don't really like it that much. I'm trying or to think of my say? opposite. I was, I was, well, my tangent was going to be, um, 
as highly regarded as the Zelda franchise is and the series is, I think Zelda 1 is still to this day underrated for what it did and how cool of a game that is. I think people should maybe revisit it and try to look at it with open eyes as far as, like, playing that game as if you were playing it for the first time. Like, when you... There's an atmosphere to those dungeons that's really unlike anything they've done in that series since then. It's, like, truly foreboding. Like, the, the sound effects, the music when you walk into a room and the door closes, you know, there's that sound effect. Yeah. Well, there's a totally different atmosphere to those than now it's like almost comical. There's none of some, there's not even there's no tension in Zelda games anymore. There's no real sense of dread or fear. It's all like manageable, you know? Yeah. It's all it's totally gonna different. be okay. It's gonna be alright. Right. Sort of the atmosphere. That's, that's the thing that I miss a lot about Zelda games, and also of course the sense of of open world adventureness. And and the thing is, I'm not even a fan of open world games. Like when you say like GTA or Assassin's Creed, you have multiple different missions you can go to. I like the idea of having a world that you can approach from a number of different uh, directions and different ways and still end up at the same place. Yeah. Having a a lack of linearity in terms of your your flow, you know? And Wind Waker doesn't really have that, but you can actually, you can explore the world, like from the get-go to a large degree. And the other thing I like about that one is like, it's about as close as they've done to like playing a Zelda game where they actually made it like, where they took like sort of the cartoon imagery out of the instruction manuals, and it's like you were playing that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as so, visual design, you mean? Yeah, where it was like, yeah. well, I'm actually like the graphics have gotten as good as like the pictures, you know, in the instruction manual, you know, the game art. And so I, I really like that aspect of it. Um, I'm sort of like defending from the point that it has that sort of like friendly atmosphere, like everything's going to be okay feel in the dungeons. Like I feel like that sort of makes up for it. The thing is, when you say, like, replay Zelda 1, like, you were saying about, you know, Link's Awakening and how, like, you know, that even you were like, how did I do that as a kid? It's like times yeah. 10 with Zelda 1. That game is it's almost true. like it's without true. a walkthrough. Yeah. It yeah. just feels, it feels, like, unplayable. Like, you know, like, you're just, you're just, all you do is get killed. It's like, what the hell? I don't know. You know, unless you already know what to do. It's like. I actually, it's, I did it recently. I, I did a full playthrough. With it. I don't remember if I cheated online or not, but I, I did go all the way through it uh, maybe four or five years ago, and I really, really did enjoy it. Uh, yeah. That's that crazy really Pretty revolutionary. Yeah. yeah. Which for all the Majora's Mask people, that's that's all that is, by the way, to Ocarina of Time. It's the B quest. It's the, you know, they reuse the <laughs> graphics. and You know, I know it has the great emo story, you know. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually beaten Majora's Mask. I've gotten very oh. far into it, and I've played through it maybe two or three times where I've gotten to like, you know, I don't know, like 12 or 13 hours in, and I just, I just I lose interest and I give up. And so, yeah, it's time. very, it's, it's really good, and it's, you know, it's unique. They yeah. actually use the original Zelda music even in it, even though you're not in Hyrule. It's one of those ironies, yeah. much like yeah, the I remember that. <laughs> where it's like, why are they doing this now? I, I enjoyed what I played of it. It just it seemed to me that it had poor overall design as far as holding my interest. I mean, if it loses if it loses me on three separate playthroughs, that's a problem. I mean, I don't care how you, what you say about that game, but it just it just yeah. lost me. It does have the most badass link of the series. How so? Well, if you you know complete enough side quests and such, the God Link or whatever it is. Yeah, you you get oh, a massive CD link. Yeah, that tells you to basically, uh, it's a guts link, you know. He's got this huge sword, you know, with a cool design and white eyes, and he's just, you know, he's not kidding mm. around anymore. <laughs> <laughs> cool. 
Zelda, um, I also wanted to say while we're on the Zelda topic, I may have said it before, I may have nerded out to this before, but I didn't beat uh, Zelda 64 until I was in, I think it was college. I, I'd, of course, played the game pretty thoroughly. I think I got as far as, like, the last dungeon when I was a teenager, and then I stopped playing it. But after Griff and I talked about it a lot, I went back and played the game again on emulator, and uh, I beat it then. And it wasn't until then that I really got a sense of the ending. I'd read about what happened in the ending, of course, but that ending to me is one of the most significant in terms of video games uh, for me personally, uh, because what happens in it for spoilers, for those that have not played it is, you know, throughout the game, you're going between childhood link and adult link, you know, past and future in the future link. The world has been, you know, destroyed by Ganon and everything. And you're trying to, you know, save the world from that potential future. And so you go through all these things and have all these adventures and you ultimately save the world, and then you go back in the end to becoming Child Link, and none of that future ever happened. All those connections you made with people, all those enemies you killed, all those adventures you had, never happened in the eyes of the world that you ultimately inherit. You know, the, the people that you know in your childhood world never knew who you were in the future. And to me, that's a perfect analogy for video games, where yeah. you're having these adventures yourself. You're going out there and playing in this virtual world, having accomplishing all these things. And at the end of the day, you come back and you go back to the real world where no one acknowledges what you've done, obviously, what didn't really happen. No one knows what your experience in history is. And I thought that was very, very uh, magnificently done, uh, uh, well-thought-out ending for a video game. Yeah, I- it's, it's one of the most powerful endings in games. And actually, I yeah. think uh, you really missed out uh, not to have finished the game, you know, back when you first played it. Because uh, it was really uh, it was really significant for me at the time. It was a big, uh, how to say a big moment, you know, very emotional. I just remember the reason it's, it's one of the it's the best game ever. I almost slipped up and said one of. <laughs> I just remember experiencing the ending, and I wasn't spoiled to it at all. And I, I know it's all it, uh, after all the video game forum posts and threads I've read. I've never read anyone talk about the ending before and how significant it was. If every, everyone just says, linked, you know, Ocarina of Time is a well a well done game. It's one of the best games of all time." But no one says, you know, why the ending is so powerful. But I mean, to me, it was just, mm-hmm. I was very impressed by it. Well, it's great also because you get to see, you know, you see all the characters. That's the thing, you know. You see everybody, you know, yeah. and that's like, you know. Yeah, and eventually, uh, you know, it's like falling on, on your sword, you know, as a guy, you know, by defeating Ganon and, you know, reverting everything. You're so sacrifice yourself and your progress and all the relationships, you know, you know, you achieved. So, yeah, right. that's, um, yeah, it, it's very, you know, what's that? It's very conflicting, uh, conflicting as far as uh, emotions go. Mm-hmm. It also just yeah, plays in the theme of while you're playing the game, you know, the whole childhood adult, you know, going back right. and forth between them. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> and how it's it's interesting how it has a different significance is when I was a kid wanting to be an adult, mm-hmm. and now I'm an adult playing. You know, I play that game, and it's like, oh, I'm going back to being a kid when I do yeah. this. You know, it's the symbol. It still works. You know, the metaphor just reversed. This is a different thing. Yeah. Different. I'm on the other side of it now. Yeah, it's a it's a very appropriate metaphor. You can tell they put some thought into that. It wasn't they didn't they didn't come to that just arbitrarily. You know, I think that has some resonance. And it, you know, it makes me sad to think about Ocarina of Time being such a well designed game because to me that's where Nintendo kind of fell off the cliff in terms of like almost like a godlike game design. Now that, that's the last game I can think of where I really thought they were super, super ahead of the curve. Like, name yeah. another game Nintendo's made that comes even close to anywhere near that level. I'm, we're talking hot on the heels of Mario 64, they released Zelda 64. 
think about that. And then what did they do after that? You know? Well, Super Mario yeah. Sunshine? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, yeah. Wait, never was, you know, it was Metroid Prime, but it's, uh, it's, it's not. Yeah, well, you know, retro is a first party, you know, developer, but yeah, it's not the same thing. I agree. Sad. But, you know, those are still good games. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's sort of, that's the other thing is that, uh, they, they were setting out to sort of do that, you know, Miyamoto was, you know, I mean, that was like the last game. I think he, he sort of had to step in and like direct on it because, you know, <laughs> it wasn't going like the way they wanted. And I think it was the last game, you know, like that, that he, that he did direct. You know, yeah, it was were, the last game he was personally directing, as, as, yeah, as far and, as I remember. And, you know, why, why do anything else after that? Maybe to try to do something better now, because at the time, because they were really attempting to do like on the heels of, you know, the significance of a link to the past and Mario 64. Like you could really say they were setting out to make the best game ever at the time. Yeah. And I don't know that they do that anymore. Now it's sort of like, let's just make another game. Let's make another Zelda game. And well, it's nowadays, like it's Nintendo's design comes down to like, we have an idea for this like particular gimmick that we're going to wrap our game around. Like Mario Galaxy yeah. is gravity or small worlds that you can travel between. Like, and then the yeah. whole game is designed around that premise. Whereas those games before, they seemed like a, a complete package you were being given with multiple yeah. different you know aspects and themes. Well, it's like, it's almost like they... I, I mean, I don't want to blame indie gaming, but it's almost like they're sort of almost like bringing their – like they have the resources to not just focus on a mechanic, you know? They could like have that mechanic just be a part of it. Like that's our, that's actually – we didn't talk about it before, but one of the big fears with this Zelda 3DS, is it just going to be the Zelda where you can walk on walls, you know, or is that just another thing in it? Yeah. Is that going to, you know, is it going to be called, you know, the legend of Zelda in America, the wall walker, you know, like, (laughs) I think that, I think that gimmick is pretty cool though. I've never thought about it. It would be disappointing if that's, if it's the only one thing in the game. I mean, it's really cool. It's a good way to take advantage of the 3d, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's like, I hope they, you know, they don't just solely focus the game sort of on that mechanic. I hope it doesn't all hinge on that fulcrum. So, From the, the the videos that I've seen, it seems more like a it's one of the mechanics in the game. It seems like they're focusing a lot on the 3D, actually, the multiple planes coming out to the screen at you, you know? Yeah. Well, that's another clever way to do it because the camera can go down in there into the dungeon when you're on the wall right. and you can get a, the different perspectives. So it's pretty clever. Have you uh, – you can actually download the video on your 3DS uh, through the shop right now. Yeah. It looks quite a bit better than any of the videos that I've seen online because it's actually well, it's 3D and high quality. funny about that is I showed it to my bosses who were all in their like late 30s and you know early 40s. And they were all really excited because they haven't like played any of these games since like Zelda 1. <laughs> so there are like you know whenever I tell them like you know you guys ought to get into like you know play Ocarina of Time or something like, nah not interested I said well look at this like oh my god it's like wow that's funny I like it this is great <laughs> you know it's, yeah, so you're it's, saying you're saying this is a Zelda game that could market to that guy that was trying to buy Lord of the Rings at the yard sale today and thinking it was the cartoon yeah, you know, version or maybe he'll just say nah, I already played the Legend of Zelda. <laughs> 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 This is just a I've remake. already, I've already played Rogue. A thousand fans. This just looks like a remake. <laughs> well, in some ways, it is. Yep. 
Anything else happening, guys? I got anything else for the show. I wrote down EverQuest in case Zeal had another adventure he wanted to share, but so far he hasn't shouted out anything. So, well, you know, it's I know it's pretty boring. You know, I mean, I can't, you know, I can't rant about that for hours. You know, I, I mean, I could, but you know, it's not going to be very interesting to you guys. I'm working on my, you know, on updating my epic uh, weapon. So yeah, it's it's, uh, it's pretty boring so far. How um how deep are you into the game now that you've actually returned? Because before this was kind of an expedition type of thing, or exhibition is the word, I guess. Like you were seeing, you know, how much you'd like the game, returning to it after a decade, and now you've been playing it for like two or three weeks. So you're actually into it now, right? Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. I I play it a lot, you know. Uh, you know, I spend quite quite a, a lot of time in it. But at the same time, uh, me and my buddy are, are trying not to what to say, not to burn ourselves out on it. So I like I I could just you know keep uh, you know uh, you know farming you know mobs and you know gaining XP and trying to level up as as fast as possible. But that's not what I've been doing. I'm trying to go you know. Take my time, you know, enjoy things, not rush. And since I'm on a free, you know, how do you say, you know, there, there's a three, you know, what's say three types of subscription. You can be a free to play member, a silver member, which normally costs, uh, costs five dollars and a gold member, which costs, uh, fifteen dollars. And, you know, depending on what rank you are, you have access to different kind of stuff. Now, I don't pay, but for some reason I'm still a silver member, probably because I'm a, a veteran returning or something like that. Mm. So I'm limited as far as what I can do, especially since I also don't own uh, the latest expansions. So I'm just doing, you know, some stuff, visiting some, you know, areas, you know, and, uh, you know, doing my little things, having fun. But, uh, yeah, I'm trying not to rush things. Are you limited into playing as, as far as, you know, playing only when your friend's on or do you play solo? Oh, no, I play solo as well. You know, my okay. class, I'm a Shadow Knight. It's, uh, it's not a class that's easy to play solo. Well, I guess you can do it, but it's not the one best suited to it. But I, I always did it, you know, even back in the day, you know, when there was no one online. If I couldn't find a group, I'd solo. And, uh, yeah, I still do it now. Now, it's, it's a lot easier nowadays because you've got... Uh, you can hire a NPC to play with you. You know, it replaces a group member. It's some mechanics introduced because, uh, well, there were less people playing the game. So, so it's a lot easier to solo now. And I don't even need uh, to have uh, that, you know, NPC with me. I just, you know, play by myself with my pet. Right. And, uh, yeah. And you haven't been ganked yet? No, no, no. No, I actually didn't. I tell you, I, I was. Yeah, uh, you did. You explained it a little bit. Yeah, I was a PK before, but I removed it because uh, it's useless. You know, I mean, it's something I did back in the day, but it's not very, it's not very useful. There are not many people in the bars in EverQuest. You ever like just talk about your dark past? You're like, I don't want to talk about. I was a PK. Yeah. Well, that's nothing. You know, a lot of people. You know, there's there's still some people who actually PKs even on the server I'm playing on, but you know, it's it's not. uh, If you want to play PvP. Either you convince people to play with you like that, you know, against you, or you just go to a server that's PvP. And even then, you know, I mean, that that was never uh, EverQuest uh, strong point. You know, you can have a lot of fun. You know, I had a lot of fun uh, doing guild wars back in the day or dueling people, but you know, playing as a PK is not not that easy. You know, because it, it cuts you off from uh, you know, it's very bothering when you group with other people because you can't 
receive, you know, you know, buffs from others or stuff like that. And, uh, and yeah, it's not very advantageous. If there are many PKs around, it can be fun, but other than that, it's just not, you know, it's not very amusing. Can't trust no stinking PK in my guild. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it's often like that, you know. You know, we never, um, me and Azil bought computers at the same time. We upgraded our computers at the same time in 2008 so we could play Age of Conan. And right when the game came out, they're like, oh, by the way, there's European servers and American servers. Like, oh, fuck. There's no unified servers. Oh, well, I guess we won't play together anymore. So me and him both played Age of Conan online, but we had totally different experiences and we never got to group together. But my experience with Age of Conan was just basically PvPing and just like, you run into town and everyone's just killing each other. <laughs> All constant PvP. Like there were there were enemies as well, but they were just in the way. Like, yeah, kill them, whatever. Now I'm gonna kill you, bitch. You know, that was the whole game. And I had fun with that for like three weeks and then I was just like, Yeah, it's just basically a big deathmatch game, you know? And and still yeah, a totally different experience than the European servers, didn't you? Were they a little well, more civilized over there? No, no. We also had a lot of PvP. Well the thing is I played with uh with my friend, you know, same guy right. and um yeah, so we were two. That's already an advantage, you know. And we found a, a guild. It was a, you know, I think yeah, it was called the Celts, you know. And uh, so it was with uh, British people. And it was it was pretty fun. We had uh, some good times. We uh, leveled our characters to the you know max level, and uh, then we did yeah, mostly just PvP. You know, there was one guild, some guys from Serbia or something like that. I think that was uh, there were PKs and they just you know tried to kill everybody. So it was pretty fun. So it was just, you know, us, you know, versus, you know, them or rather them versus everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, aside from that, we had also uh, a few, you know, enemy guilds, you know, you know, mm-hmm. that were enemies of, uh, you know, some tribal shit, but you know, everything's good excuse. So yeah, we played that for a while. We had some, you know, we had some good, good fun, you know. I remember we spent a day with my friend once, a full day, just, you know, twatting, you know, Two guys who were picking other people, uh, in some, you know, I don't know, some city or whatever. And we spent just, you know, the whole day just changing them down and, you know, killing them, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it was pretty fun. And, uh, yeah. And later in the game, because I, I played the game, I think just three months. And, uh, later in the game, we just, you know, made, uh, we had, uh, lower level characters, which mm-hmm. we leveled up to the max levels that could, uh, we could still return to the beginning island. You know, I think it was called Tortuga Island or something like that. And then we just, you know, PK'd everything there, uh, <laughs> which was, which was pretty fun, pretty fun as well. So yeah, that's about, that's about it. That's about it for my Age of Conan experience. But it, it was not bad, but the thing is, it was not very, uh, very big, you know, there was not that much content into it. So yeah. that's, that's what limited it. You could level up very fast and then there was not, not too much content. So the, the strength of EverQuest is that it, it really has a lot of things, you know, into it. You know, there's, you know, if you just want to walk into the world and you just, you know, see new stuff, you could do it for months and just, you know, yeah, you wouldn't see the end of it. Hmm. But other than that, yeah, it's an old game. It's an old game. I mean, if somebody started playing, you know, MMORPGs nowadays, uh, I'm not sure I would recommend them to play EverQuest. It's just too old. Well, I, I doubt EverQuest would even be among their 
immediate options if they were interested. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, if there is not to be a one game from, uh, you know, Sony Online, it would have to be, uh, EverQuest 2 at the very least, you know, <laughs> the new version. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's right. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I wish, uh, somebody would try to recreate, you know, that, uh, the, the, that kind of games, that kind of gameplay, that kind of stuff, you know. Quiz was very specific, you know, for its time and, uh, I think very unique. So even though it was uh, imitated afterwards by many other games, I'm not sure they managed to, uh, how to say, reproduce what made it, uh, so nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad to say that I think those days of the, the, the pioneering wilderness days of MMOs are long behind us at this point. Cause yeah. you have to imagine if anyone's gonna invest the capital in developing such a huge online world like that, they're gonna make it super accessible to anybody available, anybody that will play it, you know, I mean. Yeah. I remember, I've never played it, but I heard such amazing online stories of Ultima Online. Yeah. Uh, the, the freedom that you were allowed in that game was just insane. Like, uh, there weren't rules established as far as what you could or could or should not do. Like, you could literally walk up to a player, like if they didn't have their inventory protected, you could open up their inventory, uh, pickpocket them basically, and, and drop in like a, a weight that was like, you know, 900 pounds of a weight or whatever, you know, they, they couldn't carry and then they couldn't move anymore and you keep on walking and they're planted in place. Yeah, of course. Or yeah, drop a grenade or dynamite or whatever, you know. There's, there's many things. Ultimate Online had a lot of, it was a free-for-all game, you know, you could do yeah. a lot of things. So, you know, Evan, you know, how do you say, uh, I think it's Branson, Richard Branson, the, you know, creator of the game back in the day. He had his avatar called Lord British and he would right, you know, right, right. appear in the game and do events and such. And once he was actually killed by some guy, some guy managed to kill him <laughs> in game, you know, during one of these events. He was ass- assassinated. So, you know, That's so awesome. it's that kind of stuff, you know, in EverQuest, when the GMs, you know, some people try, you know, there was always people trying to fuck with the GMs, you know, the game masters. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these guys had every power. So <laughs> once people fucked with them too much, they could actually do some pretty cool stuff as well. You know, there's a lot of things in EverQuest you can do. Like once it was before uh, the extension called uh, Shadows of Luclean, you know, came out. There was some voices booming the world in some zone saying, you know, something is coming, you know, that kind of bullshit. And, you know, it was like, you know, invisible objects. But there was always a way to target invisible objects. So, uh, you know, if you, if you try to fuck <laughs> up with it, it would, uh, it would, uh, how to cast a knockback on you. A knockback was something yeah. that, you know, knocked you back and like you flew, you know, I don't know, like, you know, half a mile, you know, backwards and went crashing into <laughs> some, some trees or something like that. So yeah, there was a lot of stuff like that, a lot of cool stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, yeah. But Ultimate Online actually was a, a lot more, how to say, you know, a lot more free than EverQuest. You could do a lot of, uh, a lot more, you know, stuff, you know, and uh, it was right. more, how to say, less, less like a conventional game, you know, in, in many ways. But yeah. there was, there was still some, some pretty funny stuff in EverQuest. Like, you know, back, the, back then the money had a weight. So if you carried too much, you know, coin, you couldn't move. And <laughs> if you just, you, you could, you could actually loot your way to, you know, becoming, you know, still, like, you couldn't walk anymore. And, you know, it happened right. to me many times, you know, like, I was losing a dungeon and, you know, you slowed down, you know, the more you took, and after a while you just couldn't move anymore, so you had, like, to throw one, one bronze sword, you know, <laughs> it was like, fuck, you know, I could use that money, and you just crawled your way out of the yeah, of the place, yeah. you know. Well, that's going to do it for the show, guys. Thanks for showing up, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm.